The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith On today's show, we review Nights 4 through 9 of the 2022 New Japan Cup and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, welcome back, man. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for allowing me to return to the show. <laughs> well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to be allowed to come back, you know? Not going to be allowed Probably. to come back to your own show? Yeah. <laughs> um no for real um thank you guys for listening thank you for tuning in and um you know big shout out to chris samsa filling in you know um my my giant jock uh, (laughs) (laughs) manning the ship while i was gone so uh definitely appreciate that and uh you know for those of you that have reached out this past week concerning um the losses in my family greatly appreciate that and all the well wishers and everything of that nature so um, I'd like to also start off by saying I'm frustrated right now. Okay, I made myself a nice drink, a night. I've had a a long, hard weekend, hard week, hard day, and I decided I'm gonna make myself a nice, refreshing lemonade gin drink. Okay, so I I, I got the drink all set to go. Made myself like the raspberry lemonade. Put in some sparkling water. I mean, this is gourmet. Like this is like FOH draft level of just not as much alcohol but as far as like fanciness that's the same level we're talking about here and i like to top it off with a nice straw okay listen to this you hear that do you hear this crackling yeah okay we have these uh 
these colored straws and like i know they're not good for turtles but like every now and again i like to just be decadent and have a nice straw it just it's the best way to drink a fruity drink like this man this shit is cracked it's it, it, it's botched it, it did the job i'm not gonna be able to use it we're already on the air i wish i would have caught it before we came on there i would have gone and got another straw we got literally like a thousand pack uh, i'm not happy not happy about it because drinking from the rim is for pores okay <laughs> well i guess you're gonna have to slum it and uh you know just go go for it be the poor life yeah yeah slum it with the pores god <laughs> no nah, but uh yeah man um glad to be back we got a lot to get into uh you told me you had some uh some some special news you wanted to drop on the uh, on the air here. Yeah, man. So as uh, as everybody has known that I, I'm engaged, so also that means I am now uh, planning a wedding. So you know I'm establishing my stable, my, my groomsmen, and when you when you need somebody, you gotta turn to your blood. You gotta turn <laughs> to the click. So young boy, will you be one of my groomsmen? Oh man. Um. No, in all seriousness, uh, Jeremy asked me this before we went on there, but I was like, yeah, we should save this for the show. Uh, <laughs> but let me ask you this. How long do I have to give you an answer? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Usually people responded right away. So <laughs> <laughs> It's just that's a really big commitment. What kind of responsibilities does a groomsman carry for you know, a Jeremy Donovan wedding? Uh, I mean, showing up to the building on time. Uh, Damn. <laughs> wearing whatever, you know, we, the, the, you know, the assigned, you know, uniform, whatever we pick out, you know, colors or whatever. I want creative control. <laughs> 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 oh man. Yeah. I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be one of the groomsmen. Now the, the big question I think everyone wants to know is like, where am I in the lineup? Am I main eventing? Am I, am I curtain jerking? Like, where am I, you know, well, am I doing the job? What's the deal? Well, you know, this is this is like a um, one of those scenarios where you know everybody is equal. You know, there there that's, is there that's is. never a thing. That's <laughs> never a thing. This man's trying to work me into a handshake and a hot dog roll in his wedding. <laughs> Treat me like I'm a good little hand, but I, you know, mark contract. The fuck? No, absolutely excited to do it. Excited to uh, be part of the festivities, um, and. Uh, Really excited for the bachelor party. Yeah, hopefully, you know, we're not, nothing uh, too crazy is going to be uh, going on. Oh, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, that's exciting. Um, so yeah, and uh, we definitely need to monetize your wedding for this podcast. <laughs> Live I'm thinking, I'm thinking NFTs. <laughs> yeah, NFTs of, of, Pictures of the wedding. We could we could uh, live stream it uh, on Twitch. Woke up. We get uh, get on Rich's Twitch. Uh, live stream it. I've been told that an NFT can be anything. I don't know how it works, but I think pretty. I think like your your marriage could be an NFT, basically. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, in that case, yeah, I guess we you know just do the, the whole the whole thing will be just one big NFT. Well, no, not one big NFT. We'll do many multiple NFTs. NFTs. There we multiple. go. Multiple, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, if you guys want to support this show, support someone. Get with us. T- teach us how to what what is an NFT and teach us how to do it. And I don't want to hear oh, it's you know 
a money laundering scheme. We get that, whatever. Just teach us how to do it. We want to be in on the grift. We don't want to be, you know, the ones getting grifted. Yeah, maybe we'll hit up uh, Gabe Sapolsky. He uh, <laughs> seems to be yeah. all into the he NFTs. Was t- he was tweeting, he's like, what are the best NFTs? Oh, you know who's big with uh, the cryptos and stuff? Rocky. That's who we should hit up. Mm, Good yes. friend of the show. Yeah, he, he knows all about NFTs. Hey, there we isn't go. He, isn't he doing one with Milo Kunis? I know Milo Kunis is doing one. I didn't realize that Rocky was a part of that. I, I think I don't know. I don't know. I, I I haven't been keeping up with what's going on. I've been trying to watch all this uh, New Japan Cup <laughs> goodness. I mean, um, yeah, we'll get into it. But I have affectionately um, dubbed this year's New Japan Cup the MJC. <laughs> The, uh, the mid Japan <laughs> Cup. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we we have a uh, plenty of uh, New Japan or mid Japan, if young boy likes to call it, stuff to talk about. Uh, but before we jump into all that, I think we got kind of start on a little bit of a down note here and just talk about uh, the passing of Scott Hall, aka Razor Ramon, the bad guy. Uh, passed away at 63 years old, uh, was taken off of light support on Monday after suffering three heart attacks on Saturday. He had been in a Georgia hospital since March 1st after he sustained a broken hip that required surgery. Um, a blood clot, clot got loose um, last week, and he developed serious complications that led to the heart attacks and then ultimately led to his passing um, so obviously our, our thoughts and prayers and condolences to all the friends and family of Scott Hall. Um, but young boy, do you have any you know thoughts or memories uh, about Scott Hall? Yeah, man. I mean, I think most uh, wrestling fans from our generation of fandom, um, you know, have fond memories of Scott Hall from his time as, you know, whether it was the NWO days as Scott Hall as part of the, uh, hostile takeover and all that or whether it was as razor ramon you know my my fandom of uh scott hall i I wouldn't call fandom my uh awareness goes all the way back to like the diamond stud days in the early days of wcw uh because i used to get like tapes from my uh my grandfather back in the day and i for whatever reason i had like tapes with oz kevin nash as oz in in in, in wcw (laughs) and Vinny vegas and then also uh, the Diamond Stud, Scott Hall, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, Scott Hall is one of those guys that, like, yeah, he never did win a world title in any of the companies that he competed in. But he was always a major player and always, like, a, a, a guy that drew a lot of fan interest, a lot of money, had great matches. Um, I wouldn't call him necessarily like say a revolutionary worker but you talk to anybody that got in the ring with him and i think he kind of uh reminds me in a certain sense of how people speak of like jake roberts or randy orton a guy that like understood the psychology of how to wrestle and was like this uh i wouldn't call him a mechanic but somebody that like could get greatness out of most guys you know um that seemed to be the reputation he had um amongst his peers and you know, once he got to WWF and sort of uh, developed that uh, Scarface knockoff character, Razor Ramon, and, and everything like that, that's what really launched him to superstardom on the national stage. And then, obviously, the history that he's a part of with NWO. But, I mean, that even translates over to uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast probably 
uh, are aware, many probably aren't aware that he had a long-standing relationship with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, he worked for them dating all the way back to the 80s and then, you know, um, did many, many tours in the 80s and the 90s and then in the 2000s as well. So, I mean, he had three decades of uh, competition with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, and was a big part of that uh, NWO Japan stable and then the T2000 stuff that kind of happened as well. Um, he even uh, in the early days when he was still just Scott Hall before he even became Diamond Stud, this is post AWA. Um, he had a, a pretty lengthy tour where he uh, toured New Japan with who would become The Undertaker, but when he was wrestling back in the early 90s, late 80s as Punisher Dice Morgan. And they even had like a IWGP tag title um, challenge against, I want to say Hashimoto and Chono, or I can't remember who Hashimoto's partner was at the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, Scott Hall, he's a guy that just, uh, you know, some of the greatest memories and moments of wrestling that I have, whether it's, you know, the ladder match at WrestleMania 10, whether it's, uh, you know, the uh, him showing up on Nitro in the denim jacket or the denim uh, <laughs> uh, vest and, and, you know, telling everybody, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just think uh, he left a really indelible um, mark on so many wrestling fans from that era a lot of people that are even you you see it kind of being poured out on social media a lot of people who don't even watch wrestling still are kind of heartbroken over the you know passing of him the the one thing and i'll, I'll kick it over to you i'm happy though is that you know uh, that whole resurrect resurrection of jake snake roberts uh documentary that came out of you know at this point it's almost 10 years ago that that kind of like was the genesis and and um you know, regeneration of Scott Hall, where they brought him into DDP's, you know, um, house, I forget what it's called, the Integrity Crib or whatever, and helped him, you know, get fit again and helped him get off drugs and off the alcohol. And, you know, we even saw him kind of like make a resurgence and get into the Hall of Fame and clean up his life and, and you know, um, spend a good decade with his friends doing what he loved to do and you know, do it with, do it with the fans. I even saw him just as recently as last year's WrestleMania, uh, WrestleCon, uh, when I was working that event and very nice man. So, um, yeah, very sad to hear about the passing of Scott Hall here. Yeah. Really just sad and heartbreaking news, you know, 63 years old. That's, uh, still, you know, pretty young, had, could have had a more life to live, um, yeah, devastating loss to the wrestling world. Like you mentioned, you know, people in our, you know, age group, our generation, however you want to say it, uh, Scott Hall slash Razor Ramon was definitely a, a big influence. I can always remember as a kid, uh, you know, doing the Razor Ramon walk, you know, down the hallway in school or <laughs> into a building. Like, he was just so cool, and everybody wanted to be like him and or, you know, buying a pack of toothpicks just so you can, you know, <laughs> pretend to be him and put the toothpick in your mouth. And you now I throw it at my little brother and get in trouble, uh, you know, and just everything about him, the taunts, everything that he did was just so cool and uh, oozing of charisma. Such an influential guy in the business. Like you mentioned, obviously, you know, jumping ship to WCW was such a, a big deal. And not, you know, what what is Razor doing on, on Nitro right now? It's like the whole, you know, creation of the nwo which led to the monday night wars and people jumping back and forth and 
Yeah, he's always be one of my uh, favorites growing up. And like you mentioned, you know, maybe not the, you know, work rate as far as like moves kind of guy, but just a very smart uh, professional wrestler. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about uh, going to him for advice on how to put matches together or, you know, some some stuff for their promos or how to get a certain move over. And he just, he just got it. He had that psychology down and you saw that in the way he wrestled his promos and just how over he was in pretty much every promotion he was in like you mentioned yeah he was never the world champion but it was just one of those situations where it's like he was so over a lot of times like he didn't necessarily need to be the world champ because he was already over I mean I know I'm sure for him he wanted to be the world champ because in his time the, the champ world championship was the most paid guy um, so for him, it was about, you know, getting that that paycheck. But ultimately, I'm sure Booker saw, like, man, this guy is super over. Um, I don't really – he doesn't need help getting more over, so I don't, I'm not going to put the belt on him. Um, Dude, Scott Hall was getting paid like a world champion when he jumped in 1996. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking and, uh, more of, like, you know, WWF where he's like asking Vince, you know, like, you know, what else can I do? He's like, do you like my right. matches? He's like, yeah, they're good. Like, all right, what else can I do to like, get over? How can I, you know, get the main event and be the champ? Yeah, I was talking with Rich about that today, uh, and we were talking about how, like, it was weird that they didn't let him turn heel in 95 WWF, because it's like, why wouldn't you? If you kind of look at the landscape, he needed it, and they kind of needed it, but I think they were kind of handicapping him a bit because, you know, just the the dire situation that they were kind of in already, you know, from a financial standpoint. So, yeah, it is kind of unfortunate. I think hindsight's twenty twenty, But like you said, uh, you think about, like, the different um, maneuvers. And I think about, like, working with my dad in the summers and, like, him setting up ladders. And you better believe that I did the machismo walk underneath the ladder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like it was WrestleMania 10. Or, like, I stood on top of the ladder with my arms stretched out like I'm <laughs> fucking Razor Ramon. <laughs> Yeah, I still have WrestleMania 10 taped on uh, v- VS, uh, VHS in my uh, room. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he uh, he's a very giving guy, too. I mean, you, you look at what he did for guys like Owen Hart and 123Kid and Hector Garza and Chris Jericho and DDP and, you know, even Tanahashi. A lot of people are not aware, but, like, in 2001, Scott Hall... Um, had one of his final, you know, tours with New Japan. This is post-WCW. And um, they were building to a major match between him and Kiji Muto at the time. Um, and on the way to that build, they did a, a, a squash match between Tanahashi and Scott Hall. And uh, at the time, we're talking about a Tanahashi who hasn't even been in the business for a year. Young Lion status, essentially. And they did a they did an angle that was Scott Hall's idea, and in fact, the company didn't want to do the angle. They actually tried to talk Scott Hall out of doing the angle, but he, for whatever reason, he took a liking to Hiroshi Tanahashi, who like wasn't necessarily like a golden boy at the point at this point. You know what I mean? Like he's right. still just a, a guy that they're developing. And for whatever reason, he took a liking to Hiroshi Tanahashi, and he decided he wanted to do an angle. So they do a match. It goes like you can find it on YouTube. It goes about five minutes, maybe less. Yeah, I think and it's uh, been he, floating around on Twitter and uh, the New Japan Reddit. Gotcha. He pretty much just beats the piss out of Tanahashi. Hits him with the razor's edge. 
he's ready to go for the pinfall, but instead he kind of gloats. He walks around the ring. He grabs a mic. They take some time getting it to him. He starts cutting a promo, and he's like, Muto Kiji, if you ever end up in the ring with me, this is what's going to happen to you. And he points down at Tanahashi. Tanahashi fucking schoolboys this man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, bro, when he's like, this is what will happen to you. Boom, scoop. One, two, three. This man does a J-O-B to Tanahashi, who hasn't even been in the business for a year. And, um, you know, for uh, for a guy that's a Attitude Era slash New Generation mark, like Hiroshi Tanahashi was, that was, like, this huge, huge honor. I mean, we've talked on this podcast about how he idolized guys like Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall and that entire, like, click crew. So for one of those guys to take a shine to him and decide to put him over when he didn't have to, that was a big deal, and it really endeared Scott to a lot of uh, that current generation of Japanese, you know, talent at the time. So, and that was, you know, he did that time and time again in Puerto Rico and in WCW and in WWF, everywhere he went. Yeah, he was just so giving. Like he mentioned, truly helped those guys in building uh, careers and looks like they are starting to find some of his matches on uh, NJPW World and they're uh, putting those out. So one that's on the front page right now, they have uh, Muto and the Steiner brothers against Chono, Nash, and Hall from uh, May 3rd, 1997 from Strong Style Evolution. That's uh, kind of part of that, that whole NWO and NWO Japan. So yeah, definitely a lot of time in New Japan. I don't think a lot of people, like you mentioned, really knew about his time in New Japan. It's not really publicize a lot or you don't really hear a ton of people talking about that part of his career it's all you know wwf and wcw for the most part but yeah there's so much to his career like you mentioned awa and even you know Meltzer was talking about going back to him being like magnum scott hall there's like so much that he he done throughout the wrestling business yeah i recall those uh those day the awa days obviously i wasn't watching it live but i mean i've seen quite a few quite a bit of uh the tape of him and kurt henning uh, as AWA tag champions. I mean, it's kind of funny because he's just this, like, big, rugged, you know, southern cowboy archetype type wrestler. You know, cowboyism, like Adam <laughs> Hangman Page. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's it's just kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, uh, very sad. Um, and, uh, you know, like we said, condolences go out to all his friends and family and all those affected by his loss. And, uh, you know, he won't be forgotten. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, shift gears now. We're actually going to start with uh, New Japan of America here because this weekend here in St. Petersburg slash Tampa, Florida, we have Strong Style Evolve, the next uh, set of tapings for New Japan Strong. And we are having a New Japan fan meetup that Sunday before the show at Overflow Brewing Company. Uh, you can Google that the address. There's a flyer going around with the address. Uh, we're planning on meeting there at 1.30 p.m. Sunday, March 20th. Uh, before the show, it's about a you know a few minute, four or five minute walk, I believe, away from the venue. Come out, you know, all the social suplex guys will be there. I've been seeing a lot of people retweeting, a lot of people hitting me up saying that they're going to be there. So come on out uh, Sundays. It's going to be before the card. We'll grab some drinks, have a good time, and just kind of get hyped up for this uh, big, strong-style Evolve card. Yeah, let's make things very clear. This is not an official thing that we have, you know, 
like scheduled with or like we didn't rent out the brewery essentially i talked to the people that run the brewery told them the amount of people that are coming they're cool with it you know but it's not like an official thing we're not buying you guys drinks okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is this is a buy your own drink kind of event yeah yeah if you want to come in you buy your own drinks whatever if you don't want to drink have a water whatever but uh this brewery is actually really 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 cool they got awesome like games and artwork and the the drinks are really awesome and they're not that expensive and it's like you said like a five minute walk from the venue and you know we're gonna chill there hang out last time we did this when um strong style or i don't even know was it no it was was uh, new beginning new beginning yeah when new beginning tour was here a couple years ago we did something similar had a great turnout had a really you know awesome time with a bunch of different like-minded new japan fans and so you know we want you guys to come out just hang out very chill and uh you know once we're done we'll walk over to the coliseum and we will watch what on paper i think is a pretty awesome looking show honestly yeah so we'll talk about the lineup right now but one thing that got announced for the lineup last week you know normally these jay white uh usfj open challenges are kind of a mystery opponent but we had somebody come out right out and answer the challenge before the show and that would be one half of the Motor City Machine Guns, Chris Sabin. So New Japan of America posted a video on Friday featuring Sabin answering Jay White's ongoing use of Jay Open Challenge. He said, forget the surprises. I'm just going to tell you straight up right now. Jay, I accept your challenge. March 20th, New Japan Strong. Chris Sabin versus Jay White. And there's actually been some story going on with these guys. So uh, Jay White um, defeated Alex Shelley recently on, uh, I believe it was Sacrifice in Impact. Yeah, last Saturday's uh, Impact Sacrifice show. And uh, this week, the Machine Guns are back together. They'll be facing uh, Jay White and Chris Bay on this Thursday's Access TV. Also, Saban will be facing Jay White on Friday, April 1st at uh, Impact's WrestleCon show, The Multiverse of Matches. So a little little program is going to get kicked off here with uh, Jay White and Chris Saban. Do we know if the Impact show is being, like, taped or aired on their streaming service or anything like that? I would assume it is because pretty much all the Impact shows, even, like, the Sacrifice one, which was a kind of a, just a Impact, I think, plus exclusive, all get streamed somehow. So I think there will be some kind of streaming for that multiverse of matches show. Yeah, I got thrown off because I saw that they initially said that Saban was fighting uh, – Jay on the 20th but then I saw that they're also wrestling on April 1st and I was like did they get the dates wrong is was you know the cat let out of the bag too early because it kind of seemed like um I tried to find that tweet where the New Japan of America um Twitter page released that they're fighting on the 20th and it looked like they got rid of it so I'm wondering if they're still doing it or not well Um, I, I saw a match graphic with today with Saban and Jay White with the Strong Style Evolved match grab. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I wasn't sure, so I'm glad that you, you know, done a little more due diligence than I have. <laughs> but, um, you know, Chris Saban, that's a guy that we uh, have both kind of grown up on and seen him, you know, last time I think he competed in New Japan was probably that Super Juniors tournament a few years ago. So um, look forward to seeing him kind of return to the Cerulean Blue. Yeah, so if it I'm, even is a cerulean blue mat, like who knows <laughs> what the ring setup is going to be like in, in Tampa? I don't even know. Yeah, 
So yeah, so we got the Jay White versus Chris Saban match. We'll also have the strong openweight champion Tom Lawler defending against the wild rhino Clark Connors. We'll have Finn Juice taking on Shane Haste and Jonah. Carl Fredericks taking on Josh Alexander. Ren Narita taking on Jay Lethal. Blake Christian taking on a Swerve Strickland. Mascara Dorada taking on TJP. Freddie Yehi and Daniel Garcia taking on Fred Rosser and Eddie Kingston. Buddy Matthews of the House of Black will be taking on Yuya Yamora. Black Tiger and J.R. Kratos taking on Rocky Romero and Wheeler Utah of Chaos. John Schuyler taking on Big Damo. Andy Brown taking on Hikaleo. And opening up with some young line action, we'll have Kevin Knight taking on the DKC. Yeah, so this is a lot of matches for a taping like this. I've kind of compared and looked back, and I don't think they've done any other tapings um, since they've gone to the live strong format that have this many matches. Um, I am wondering if maybe some of these matches might become part of that, uh, I don't know, that Chris Charlton act like special access show that they've done in the past. Because, I mean, yeah, this seems like the extra. too many. Yeah, the extra. Because it seems like it's just too many to do, like, I mean, they've got enough here to do, like, five episodes, basically. Yeah, I'm sure some will be, yeah, the YouTube exclusive extra stuff, and then, yeah, probably, you know, three or four weeks of TV with everything else. The one thing I will say, uh, I don't think there's necessarily, right, I mean, there's definitely some intriguing matches, so I'm not gonna, I'm not at all, like, diminishing what this is. But, you know, we've had uh, some matches in the past that have been built up and advertised that were much bigger in stature and in name strength than any individual match on this show. So from that respect, I would kind of label this like a B-level strong taping. And I think it is kind of sandwiched in between, you know, two stronger, uh, you know, strong taping destinations back to back. That being said, for a B-level strong, I don't think you could get much better than this because, I mean, look at, there's like 13 or 14 matches and at least 10 of them have big, big names that you know from around the wrestling industry, whether it's Swerve, whether it's Jay Lethal, Josh Alexander, Tom Lawler, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, Eddie Kingston. And I mean, you've got guys literally from like Impact, ROH, MLW, <laughs> you know, GCW, the Indies, AEW, uh, it's kind of crazy, like how much of a melting pot this uh, promotion has, you know, this like side promotion or, you know, under project has kind of become. And yeah, I mean, and then when you even take into consideration that just aside from those 10 matches with the big names, you also have a Young Lions match. You also have what are probably effectively some um, tryout matches for, you know, um, up and coming like indie guys that kind of have a buzz in the local area with like WWN and stuff like that. This is an awesome show. I, I actually can't think of a single show that I've seen personally live in the Florida Tampa Bay area that are better than this on paper. And that includes any WWE show I've seen here that includes any like, Evolve, any FIP that includes uh, anything I saw WrestleMania weekend. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you said, it's a really solid lineup up and down the card. And yeah, it pretty much, you look at this, the star power on this card. Yeah, it definitely eclipses anything that we've seen 
um, in that kind of local independent. Yeah, even some of the major shows, like you mentioned, yeah, like when WWE comes to town, you're not going to get a uh, caliber of this card. And even if they do bring like a pay-per-view card here, you're not going to get, you know, this this stack of a card here with these matches. These guys are going to go out here and kill it. And this is going to overall. This card's better than, uh, than the last New Japan show they did here. Now, that one definitely had better like more domestic star names like Tanahashi and stuff like that, you know, guys that you knew, but uh, putting that aside, this is actually a much stronger card on paper. I mean, look how many singles matches we're getting. Yeah. Ton of singles matches. We're getting big stars. We're getting, you know, AW's new signee and swerve. We're getting AW's buddy Matthews and Eddie Kingston. We got uh, Josh Alexander coming back in to take on Frederick. So you got Lethal in there from AW also. Saban from Impact. Uh, you know, Jay White's on fire right now with all the Bull Club stuff that's going on. There's just so much. We have the whole uh, the Shane Haste and Jonah coming back together, that storyline with them and Finju. So that's been building for several weeks now. So that's going to be a, a heated grudge match. There's so much. Uh, you know, you got the. Even. Even the Rocky Romero Black Tiger stuff that's been going on. There's there's like stories that are here, uh, and we'll even talk about it. But like the Dorada TJP match they set up this past week on Strong as well. Yeah, you know rematch from the Cruiserweight Classic Finals in 2016. So, yeah. yeah, so you know, um, if 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 this was a trash card, we would just say it. It's far from that. So if you're in the area, I highly recommend. There's still a lot of tickets. Uh, for sale. That's the one thing I don't think a lot of people are talking about. And I don't want to be too negative, but being honest, um, they haven't sold a lot of tickets for this thing. Like it's, they've got like, uh, I don't know. I want to say like for the setup, I think it's still around like 900 to a thousand tickets like available. And I think they're set up for like a 1500 seat setup. So I don't know how they're going to accommodate for that. Um, hopefully as the time comes, they're making the, you know, New Japan, that is, is making the proper uh, provisions to properly market the show in the area to the right, you know, fans and audience to kind of increase or, you know, hopefully there's a buzz that's going on, um, you know, just amongst the local wrestling fandom because there is a wrestling scene out here. But, uh, you know, if you've got the time and you've got the money and you're in the area, I'd highly recommend you attend the show because you'll probably be kicking yourself if you miss this one. Yeah, and we had a question here from friend of the show, Zach, who will be out there for the show as well. He says, did you guys have a match you're looking forward to seeing at this weekend's Strong Style Evolve show? You know, all of these matches are really awesome, and, I mean, there's a lot of things to be excited for, but I, I'm just going to go chalk on this one and say Tom Lawler against Clark Connors. You know, it's for the title. Um, they've been building to Clark Connors kind of taking that step up against a guy like Tom Lawler for a long time. And every time Tom Waller defends the title, he knocks it out of the park. And I think uh, this is an awesome opportunity to kind of showcase Clark and maybe even coordinate him. So, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to win that match, but that's got to be the one that I'm most excited for. Yeah, that's going to be a very anticipated matchup. Uh, for me, another one that I'm looking forward to is uh, Jay White versus Chris Saban. I've been a Chris Saban mark for a long time. I don't think I've ever gotten to see him wrestle live. Um, so this will be a pretty cool opportunity to see him live and just see what's going on with this whole, you know, new bull club machine gun rivalry that's happening in Impact. Nice. Well, let's uh, let's move on here. <laughs> yeah. So this past Saturday we had night two of the Rivals Tour in uh, Hollywood, California. 
Show opened up. We had uh, Hikaleo defeating Kevin Knight 18 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, thought Kevin Knight looked really good here. Showed a lot of athleticism, a, a ton of fire. And uh, Hikaleo was uh, giving him a lot here, but ultimately got uh, cut off and ended with a choke slam. Good match um, for both guys. Uh, I thought Ke- I thought that Kevin Knight had a really awesome um, comeback sequence towards the tail end of the match. And then I don't remember what it was Hikaleo did, but there was some move that he hit Kevin Knight with at the very tail end right before he finished it that, like, it looked like he knocked the soul out of Kevin Knight. It was a body. chop. He, he ran into a chop. Of oh, it was an overhand chop. He was, yeah. like, in the air, and he he killed him with it. It was so awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, a sweat, his sweat just, like, flew, and he just, like, died from it. It was awesome. I think it is going to be interesting going forward to kind of see where Hikaleo aligns with what's going on with Bull Club. I'll just throw that out there. Definitely, and we'll talk about that uh, some more here in a second. Uh, second match, we had Kevin Blackwood making his strong debut. He defeated Arya Davari, and you know we had the whole story here of Davari trying to uh, play it clean, and he tried to do that, and once again, kind of backfired when he you know went for the chair and decided not to do it, and that that cost him the match there. And then we had the post match beat down, letting out his uh, frustrations. Yeah, so, you know, they've been telling this story for a bit here about Arya Davari being conflicted, trying to go the right way, and it looks like his, uh, you know, um, natural tendencies got the better of him here, and he his true nature came to light, unfortunately. Um, you know, a lot of people talking about Kevin Blackwood here. I thought he was good. I've heard, uh, I've heard that he's kind of been labeled as one of the uh, pillar killers in AEW, um, I don't know if he's been featured a bit on, like, Dark. Is that where they – because I haven't seen him on any of the proper shows. Yeah, I mean, he, he was on Dark a lot during the pandemic, but lately he's done a ton of indie stuff with Daniel Garcia and Utah and uh, some of those guys. Gotcha. You know, um, this was my only exposure to him, and I thought the match was good. I don't think it was enough for me to make a proper assessment of him personally. Um, you know, uh, so I'll just kind of leave it at that. I, I, I've seen, I've heard glowing things about him and I've heard very negative things about him and I'm, I'm kind of still on the fence when it comes to Kevin Blackwood. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. I mean, his stuff on dark has been more mainly squash matches. So not a lot for him to really show there. And then this match, I, I thought he was fine. Also, I think it was more about Davari and his story. So. And it was right. kind of the middle of the, the mid card match. Not a, t- not a ton of time here. They got you know, almost nine minutes. Um, so definitely, I'm open to seeing more from him. Uh, if but, there was one thing, I will say I like I like his strikes. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I thought he had I thought he had some pretty good kicks. Uh, we had a question here about his look from uh, Fit Beautiful two six three eight. Says we make fun of Doki's bad look all the time, but did you see Blackwood's debut on Strong? Is his pink mohawk and body covered with bad tattoos look, several of which are blacked out like he has had a tattoo over to cover up uh, gang tattoos or ex-girlfriend or something, worse than Doki's? Who wins the Ugly Stick Award for NJPW? (laughs) That's funny. I like how he said we make fun of Doki's bad look all the time, but like I've never heard Fit Beautiful make fun of Doki, so I think what he's doing there is speaking about the podcast as we, as though he is part of it, which which I appreciate, because that's I do that with New Japan. I don't work for New Japan. They don't cut me a check, you know what I mean? 
like I'll be like, man, we really got to get it together. This company's not doing so hot. <laughs> so I, I appreciate anytime someone, um, you know, speaks with ownership when it comes to keeping a strong style. <laughs> Us. Us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I didn't think that he had like a, a killer look, but, you know, I don't think any of the aesthetics were really, you know, I wasn't too far down on them. I don't know. Like, to, he, to me, he just kind of honestly looked like a guy. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of looked like an indie guy you would see any weekend on an indie show. Yeah, and and that's not to say, like, negative or positive. That's just, that's the deal. Um, so, yeah. So then we go to the main event of the show, the USOJ Open Challenge, and it was answered by Swerve, the realist Strickland, making his uh, strong debut uh, getting of the match. Jay, before the match, Darth Jay tries to get Swerve to join the Bullet Club and throw up a too sweet and not have a match, but uh, ended up eating a boot to the face, and then we got a really great match from there. Yeah, I'm not sure I would want to see uh, Swerve as a member of the Bullet Club necessarily, but uh, I thought this this match was really, really, really good. Um, in my opinion, it might be the most uh, impressive Jay White match that I've personally seen since, say, like the Freddie A. High match. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you know, and I haven't seen all of Jay's work in Impact. Um, I will say that I've heard some really good things about the match with like Alex Shelley and like uh, Eric Young. So, you know, uh, from all reports, he's doing really well. But I, I definitely liked this more than the Christopher Daniels match. I liked it more than the Jay Lethal match as well, which I thought was really good. So uh, him and Swerve went out there and I thought that they really, you know, for j just over 15 minutes kind of tore the house down and, you know, worked really well together. Jay's chops, man, he was light and swerve up here and um you know he got kind of taken to his limit he had to like reach into his bag of tricks and uh got the win over swerve but i i wouldn't be opposed to seeing swerve come back to new J well we're gonna see him obviously here on sunday but uh you know i wouldn't be opposed to him continuing to work for new japan like long term yeah he did mention you know in, in an interview that he initially reached out to will osprey when his contract was up and will was trying to get him over to New Japan, so yeah, hopefully uh, we, we can mention we, we got him on strong on Saturday or on Sunday against Blake Christian, but um, we ha we have been seeing AEW guys continue to work strong, so I'm hoping he will be one of those guys that will get to continue to work strong. And then once the borders open up, definitely sounds like there's interest for him to go to Japan, so that would be cool to see him in like a G1 or some kind of uh, big matchup show. But, hey, I'll put it to you this way. If you miss this match, I give it a big recommendation. It was better than most of the singles matches we see in the New Japan Cup this year. So, Yeah. Um, and then next week we'll have night three of the Rivals Tour main event. House of Black's Buddy Matthews will take on Ren Narita. Bullet Club's Chris Bay will take on Blake Christian. And then we'll have opener of Keita Murray, Freddie A. High, and the DKC. Versus Stray Dog Army of Bateman, Mysterioso, and Barrett Brown. So now nice. let's uh, jump into New Japan Cup action. So we left off. Well, you know, Jeremy, this is what I'd like to do. Because, okay. um, you know, there's a lot of, like, there's just so many, like, preview tags on the undercards. Instead of running down the winners of all those, 
um, and then trying to figure out which ones had the different angles that we need to discuss. Why don't we just have a general discussion on the stories and the angles that we've kind of been seeing playing out on those undercards, and then just talk about the, you know, um, tournament matches. Yeah. So I guess the, the, the main story that's been happening on all the undercard matches is what's going on with Bullet Club. We've had several Bullet Club multi-man matches on these nights, and, of course, Kevin Kelly's playing it up on commentary, what's going on. We've had several promos backstage with Gato telling all these Bullet Club guys, you know, they need to pick the right side, they need to pick Jay White's side, you know, they need to throw the two sweet up, don't throw it down. So we saw a lot of people kind of debating on whether they're throwing it up, whether they're throwing it down, and all these uh, multi-man matches. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of been what's been playing out over this whole time. And, you know, the interesting thing is, like, this is all stemming from the angle that we discussed the other week where Jay White turned on G.O.D. at an Impact, you know, premium live event, <laughs> as they're called. <laughs> and um, you know, kind of reintroduced the Good Brothers back into the Bull Club and sort of ousted G.O.D., or at least that's what he was claiming to have done. And all the newspapers are saying, like, no, New Japan's not, you know, they're not out of the Bull Club. It's just kind of caused a rift, and it still needs to play out. And this whole time, like, Jay's in America. He's not in Japan, so he hasn't really been there to advocate. Gato's kind of been acting as his mouthpiece sort of, applying the pressure to all the different uh, Bullet Club members, letting them know, like you mentioned, what they need to do. In the same respect, we haven't really seen G.O.D. back in Japan. They've been in America as well. And later on in the tour, they finally arrive, and that sort of sets up the, uh, you know, the kind of, like, ultimate showdown for what what is everybody going to do when it comes to Tama and Tangaloa, um, you know, and their allegiance. Are they going to side with Jay, are they going to side with, you know, Bullet Club OG Tamatonga? It's, you know. Right. There's also a choice to be made there. And also, you know, I think a lot of people are interested on, like, what are guys like Bad Luck Fale and Chase going to do, especially Fale uh, also being a Tongan and just kind of being one of the core four of Bullet Club with Tamatonga. Would he, would he side with them? You know, we saw in the. And his literal cousin. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, we saw in, in the first Bull Club Civil War, obviously he was kind of on the, the firing squad side of things. Uh, so that was a, a debate there, and uh, there's a lot of back and forth what's going to happen here. And then also, you know, House of Torture, like we've been talking about for months now, has felt like its own entity. It doesn't really feel like Bull Club. Well, this is the first time we were starting to see, through these undercards, some House of Torture guys starting to team back up with, uh, regular bulk of guys like we saw Gato and Cho on night four. Uh, there were some nights where Yujiro teamed with some of the Bull Club guys. So we started seeing those guys kind of make their way, kind of intermingle with some of these other Bull Club guys. But a lot of people thought, you know, maybe Evil would have a, his own kind of side of this. Maybe it's picking between Jay, Evil, and Tama. Um, but right. ultimately it was, we found out, really just a choice between Jay and Tama. Right. And some of those other kind of lingering uh, threads could still play out later on. We saw that occur the last time they tried to do a story like this. Like, what are the Tongans going to do? Well, we found out much later. I feel like the House of Torture is sort of in a similar spot. But like you mentioned, they did start teaming with uh, Bullet Club proper members for the first time in a long time. So that kind of put the kibosh on 
some of the talk amongst uh, New Japan fans where they're like, House of Torture is not Bullet Club. Well, they're very clearly Bullet Club, just as Kota Bushi used to be part of the Bullet Club when he was teaming with Chase Owens and Ujiro all that time back remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Um, but speaking of that, another thing that's been playing out um, on the undercard, so um, during the anniversary show, we saw a multi-man tag team match where uh, the reigning IWGP junior heavyweight champion Desperado was on the losing side of a tag team match to the Stronghearts. And so I think a lot of people were kind of like gearing up like, oh shit, this is going to lead to like him and El Lindemann or him and T-Hawk, you know, they've been building to this, but then comes to find out later on in this tour, it's just show. Show decided to, uh, during one of the nights attack, uh, freaking Desperado and then for the rest of the tour he's just kind of been doing that periodically every couple nights you know whether it's attacking him with the belt or attacking him before a match or after a match with the wrench what what have you but he's made his um, intentions very clear that he, he wants a shot at the title he wants to be next in line and it looks like that's what we're getting is a not show but a house of torture bullshit show versus reigning champion Desperado yeah, I was not very excited when I saw that on the uh, Night 6 show with uh, show making the attack and holding up the belt. And like you mentioned, we've been seeing that all throughout the rest of the tour now. These guys are in multi-man, so are jumping each other. Um, yeah, we're going to get this yeah, House of Torture show against Despy. And we've talked about sometimes Despy will wrestle down to the level of the guy he's in there with. And so, obviously, show's going to be doing a lot of shenanigans. So Suzuki Gun in the past has done a lot of shenanigans, so we're probably going to get both of these guys trying to out-cheat each other are probably going to get run-ins from both Hollow Torture and Suzuki Gun in this match, and, I, and I'm not really thrilled about it. One last uh, story, and I'm, unless I'm missing anything here, but, uh, you know, the one thing that we haven't really seen play out just yet, but there have been a lot of teases and allusions to it during the tour and during their multi-man match, uh, matches are whether or not we're going to see members of the United Empire compete against one another in the New Japan Cup. Now, um, Jeff Cobb is obviously sort of precluded from this since he's on the left side of the bracket. And unless he makes it to the final against another member, that seems unlikely. But as of right now, it still seems that it's possible that we could be getting um, Will Ospreay versus the Great Okan. Um, I'm not confident that that's exactly what's going to play out, but they've been teasing that quite a bit in the commentary and sort of the post matches. There's just a little bit, even though they're cohesive, it's a little bit of tension there. And we're kind of, I guess we'll find out here on the next night, what's going to happen as far as those guys go. But, uh, you know, for the time being, that's sort of the thing that they've been teasing. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that started getting teased out on today's show, it looks like we have new challengers for the junior tag titles. So on today's show, there was an opening tag with um, Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori taking on uh, Wato and uh, I think it was Vegeta. Um, they had a, a opening tag match where uh, Bull Club, they won, and then they attacked Wato afterward to Gucci ran down and made the save, and ELP and Taiji made it very clear that they uh, want a shot at the tag team titles. Yeah, full disclosure, I've kind of just been, like, hopping around when it comes to 
So for the undercards, I've kind of watched it all, but like I watched it on like hyper speed. So like <laughs> if I missed something, you know. But well, uh well, to be completely know. honest, like for most of the undercard stuff that I pay attention to was the bull club stuff and pretty much all the preview matches I kind of fast forwarded just to the finishes. Uh, That's pretty much what I've been doing. And I mean, dude, you can't really fault anybody for doing that. Look how many subsequent shows they've done in successive order night after night after night. I mean, this is a lot for anybody. To, this is more than most G1s. Yeah, especially this uh, this past week of stretch. We're like in the middle of like a eight-week, eight-day like run show that they're doing here. Uh, just yeah, every day it's matches. And then you have like maybe two or three tournament matches chock full of all these uh, preview matches. Well, with that being the case, um, we'll talk about the, the actual tournament matches here in a minute. But one thing I just wanted to point out, um, we you know, this wasn't like a secret. We did the preview um, a few weeks ago, kind of talking about what to expect from this tournament. But seeing it play out in real time has been a little jarring. Did you hear that, that rumble? Yeah. Yeah, there's this giant lightning, and then I, I didn't hear any thunder. It's not raining here at all, and then, you know super delay there's a <laughs> some thunder out there so but uh anyways um but seeing it play out in real time has been a little jarring just because man i mean you know you got a lot of uh new japan cup matches that are filled filled with guys that are competent but i mean not really like blow away matches that really get you excited there have been very few surprises or upsets and uh, most of the tournament has gone completely chalk and that's to be expected considering how many dads, how many juniors, how many young lions were involved in this tournament. And then, um, you know, you kind of see the undercards. And I mean, it's not that they didn't always, you know, it's New Japan. They always have preview tags and stuff like that. But because the, the tour is so lengthy, considering that they had five rounds of New Japan Cup, it really kind of exposes you know how sort of shallow the storytelling is right now just because so much of it is centered on the tournament and the tournament is bereft of you know compelling storylines and compelling matches it just kind of waters down what could have been a really good new japan cup if you did it with like say 16 guys instead of 48 guys right yeah and i get it's the 50th year anniversary they're trying to do the biggest new japan cup ever and also in, in a non-COVID world uh, with the, the amount of talent that could have brought in to potentially fill out the 48 spots, we probably could have gotten a great 48-man tournament that way. But with COVID and the restrictions and who we got, uh, I think they should have, you know, just like you mentioned, gone on six to 16, even if they did 32. I mean, there's a lot of guys that could have been trimmed out of this to, to enhance the tournament and even just... Uh, some match placement. I feel like there was just a lot of first round matchups that were just kind of there, or, or I feel like there could have been some more intriguing matchups in, in the opening of the tournament. Well, I feel like this tournament is very uh, representative of a lot of the issues that we're seeing in New Japan right now. So, I mean, you know, um, there's so many shows because they're trying to draw as much money as they possibly can to recoup their losses over this pandemic era. And so that's something we've seen the past few years when it comes to New Japan, and that's totally on display when it comes to, uh, you know, the New Japan Cup uh, layout that they have here. And then at the same time, there's not a lot of 
major ongoing feuds. They're much more like short contained stories because that's what they're required to do because the threat of COVID is always still kind of looming around the corner. Um, even though it looks like we're kind of getting out of the weeds with that. And you can kind of see that represented here in the booking. And then look at how much House of Torture and how, bro, even Bullet Club is, because Bullet Club is sort of realigning with House of Torture, it's becoming more um, just bullshit-laden in their matches. So, I mean, and your, your undercard tags typically have at least two Bullet Club matches every night if some of those guys aren't also in the tournament. And so you're just seeing so much Togoism. Um, some nights there's even like three, you know, bull club matches. So, I mean, that's, it, you're seeing that on full display here too. So it's not like, even if you just turned on the show and you just wanted those undercard matches to be like kind of fun, fast paced, you know, um, whatever, you know, new Japan style tag team matches. Instead, you're getting two to three Bullet Club bullshit matches. You're like, fuck, why do I want to watch that? You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, there's just so much here. on on, And then at the very end, we're getting to the point now to where, like, we've had a few great matches. We had a lot of mid-matches. The tail end of this tournament is probably going to be full of classics. And how many, like, major pay-per-views of New Japan have been like that? Like, the undercard of the show kind of sucked. There's some good stuff in the middle. And then at the top of the card, they still blow it out of the water and people point to that and they're like, the company's doing great. <laughs> and then other people are like, but look at this shit in the middle. Right, yeah. Look at all all stuff that happened before that great match. You know, and then we're here and then we're here on this podcast being like offending everybody because we're like, it's still great, but it kind of sucks. But it's still great. But it also <laughs> sucks. And we have to call all of it out, you know? Right. Oh man, yeah, just so much going on, and you know, hopefully there is some news that kind of feels like things might be turning the corner finally, and maybe we'll finally, well, at least getting some. As far as getting people in, I haven't really heard much about uh, fans being allowed to clap again or make noise again. So hopefully that's around the corner as well. Well, let's get into the actual tournament matches here, and I mean, I, I got to tell you, Jim, there's a lot of these matches that I watched them in full, but I, I don't have a lot. Of- I'll tell you the ones I got thoughts on. I'll tell you the ones that I just thought were whatever, you know, because yeah. there's, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, same here. So, yeah, we'll start here with uh, night four. We had three second-round matches. Uh, first was Hiroki Goto defeating Dick Togo, nine minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, see, this is a shining example. Uh, it's Goto versus Dick Togo, and it's like, it, it, I will say this. If Dick Togo was a, if Dick Togo was allowed to go out there and perform to the level of his current capabilities would allow him to, this could have actually been a really fun, really awesome match. Instead, we got Stooge Dick Togo with the Groat Wire, and it's it's you know the same thing as watching a Jado or a Ghetto match, which in, in singles, which you don't want to see, and we've gotten too much of that in this cup, and this is another example. So. You know, Goto got past him. Everyone knew he would. And the match was bogged down with all the Togoism. It sucked. Yeah, I mean, not much more, more to add. Like, if you close your eyes and picture a Goto versus Dick Togo match, that's what you got. Goto gets to win. Ushiguroshi and moves on. Actually, no, he used that um, that armbar gimmick that he's been using that he won the New Japan Cup with uh, back in the day. I will say that. Um, Goto's been introducing a lot of new moves to his arsenal recently, like a new pinfall and a new like submission. But 
at the same time, isn't that his whole career? Isn't this a guy that just always comes up with, instead of like having one really devastating move that's super over, like say a one-winged angel, for instance, Godos had like five finishers in like a decade, and I can't remember all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that this armbar was something he used uh, in the past. But, yeah, he used it in previous New Japan Cups. Um, so, yeah, he got the tap-out victory over yeah, the Yeah, I, I think he beat Tanahashi with that the first one, if I recall, yeah. back in, like, 2012. Yeah. Uh, so then after that, we had Shima defeating Yoshinobu Kanemaru, 14 minutes and 46 seconds. I will say this. I really like this match. Um, it wasn't, like, blow away or anything like that, but I thought... Kanemaru and Shima were... Uh, this is kind of how I felt about most of Shima's matches in this tournament. None of them have been, like, out of this world, but they just put him in there with, like, really good hands, guys that he can just go out there and, like, kind of kill it with. And they're all hitting this, like, three-and-a-half star mark where, you know, they're really good matches for what they are. Yeah, his matches have been really fun to watch. And like, like we talked about last week of Chris, like there just seems to be a different like energy and atmosphere. Anytime Shima and his strong hearts come out and the crowd is uh, really behind them. Um, and it was kind of hard to tell without the cheering, but just the way they're clapping and even some of like the vocal noise they're making when people kind of ooing and all with some of the stuff that Shima does. Um, he definitely has captured the audience's attention. And yeah, his matches have always been uh, fun to watch. And it's exciting to see him getting this far and getting pretty deep into the tournament. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll also say this before we move forward. I'm like 52 and one when it comes to my new Japan cup prediction. So um, I gotta be close to the leader of that tournament or the, uh, <laughs> the sport of pro wrestling prediction contest right now. Yeah. I haven't uh, checked the rankings lately, but I know you were, the last time I looked a couple of days ago, you were one of the people that were kind of like in that thing that either that top 10 or like top 15 list. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then the main event of this evening, uh, the last uh, second round match for this evening was Kazuchika Okada, the champ, the rainmaker, defeating Master Wato 18 minutes and 34 seconds. So this match was fine. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I've been a little disappointed in Watto the last two big matches he had, this one, and then also the match with Desperado. And it, it Now, he's definitely much improved over where he was when he first returned from Excursion and everything like that. But that's two really, really big opportunities. And, I mean, he's not, he's not like wrestling like, say, a dope. Like, if you put Doki in these spots, he would have fucking killed it. You know what I'm saying? Right. He would have jacked Okada up. Right, but instead there's sort of like a complacency, I think, to to the match. And one thing I noticed was um, I do think Watto tried hard. And if you want my hot take, I don't think this match was much different from De the Desperado match. Mm. Other, other than, obviously, the Desperado match had a really, really incredible finish. But, you know, Okada gave a lot to, Des or to Watto, just like he did Desperado. But the difference was the crowd fell completely silent for everything Watto did, and the crowd was living and breathing with Desperado earlier in the tournament. And I think a lot of that just comes down to, like, credibility and believability. I don't think it's all down to Watto not, you know, having it or not, like, performing to the best of his abilities. But I kind of noticed as the match continued and the, the crowd just got quieter and quieter that his confidence just diminished even more so as the <laughs> match went on. And uh, I felt bad for the guy because I felt like he was wrestling fine 
not like blow away, but he was wrestling fine. But nobody believed Blue Hair Watto was going to beat Okada. Like nobody. And that's kind of the issue with a tournament like this with the way it's laid out. Right, especially, you know, coming to the second round. Like, this should not be a second round matchup, and especially a uh, a main event of a show here. Uh, for me, I don't know, I kind of felt like Okada was kind of sleepwalking his way uh, through this match. Like, yeah. Um, like, I'll see he was wrestling, you know, everything was, mechanics were fine, there was no boxers or anything, but I didn't feel like he was going all out. Like, I felt in a Despy match, he was, it was uh, a different level. He was going all out. He was, you know, giving that traditional New Japan Okada main event style. And here, he was just kind of sleepwalking his way through, kind of going through the motions and, you know, just had a, a fine, like, gentleman's three-style matchup here with Watto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't. And then I have to imagine the crowd, them not reacting. You know, as a performer, I'm sure he feeds off that, too. Yeah. You know? Um, one thing I will say, though, um, you said that this shouldn't be a second-round match, and I agree with you. The one thing that would have made it something where it's like, oh, Ghetto was brilliant in booking this is if Watto had stepped outside of his comfort zone and really given this guy a match that people could talk about afterwards. You know what I mean? Because then you're right. like, oh, they're giving guys fresh opportunities and they're making the most of it. And, you know, that kind of like, for instance, uh, Hiromu, the first time he was in the New Japan Cup, we were just raving about all the awesome matches he was having during that tournament two years ago. You didn't you didn't get this get that with Watto here, you know? Right, yeah. He's been given these opportunities, like you mentioned, and has has just not been knocking them out of the park. Like he's his wrestling is fine, he's got it's gotten better from his debut. But yeah, you're 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 handed over here a main event with the world champ, with Okada, the, the golden boy, and you're you know, nobody's talking about this match at all. At all. Except for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we did have a couple questions here. Uh, the Dark Soldier asked, Okada, he said, Okada straight up punked out Watto, not covering him and basically saying, I expected better. He's supposed to be a baby face. What an asshole. I don't even know what he's talking about. Did he not cover him at some point? Um, I'm trying to remember the finish of the match here. Did he, like, put his foot on him? I can't remember now exactly. Dude, I don't remember. I, yeah, I don't remember the finish exactly how he he pinned him here, but. I'm sure it was something that was disrespectful. <laughs> um, and then uh, Ethan Black here has a, a joke question. He says, since Okada beat Desperado and Watto, does he get a shot at their titles? Too tall. <laughs> uh, uh, so let's uh, move on here to night five. So we once again had uh, some more second round matches here, four matches this night. So, the first match we had Yoshihashi defeating Kosei Fujita, nine minutes and 20 seconds. Good match. Fujita, you know, did as much as could be expected from a young lion as green as he is at, you know, nine minutes in a New Japan Cup. Yoshihashi got him out of there. Yeah, nothing much more to add there. I thought Fujita uh, looked good and, you know, good win here for Yoshihashi. So uh, following that, we had Tetsuya Naito defeating Gato uh, 14 minutes and 18 seconds. This went far, far too long. Very similar to what I said earlier about the uh, Dick Togo match, but it's even worse because it's Gato and Naito. And uh, yeah, I, I, this, is, this is probably the worst match of the tournament, maybe, or if not, one of them. Yeah, this went way, way too long, especially for the style of match that Gato wrestles where... 
it's a lot of him talking. There's a lot of shenanigans. There's a lot of ref bumps. There's a lot of you know trying to get the brass knuckles and low blows and interference and all that stuff and all that just for you know Naito to have to try and overcome him when it's like we all know Naito's going to win, make it uh, quick and painless. But they didn't do that here. Went through all the the dog and pony show and then Naito eventually uh, beat Gato. So uh, following that, we had in some main event spot, we had Jeff Cobb defeating my man Satoshi Kojima, 15 minutes and 36 seconds. This was fine. Um, this is probably the match of the night. I would have probably gone like three and a half on it. Um, they've been giving Jeff Cobb quite an awesome run through the tournament. Um, and I felt like Kojima, uh, you know, did everything in his power to really have a good, compelling match with Cobb. Um, I feel like I've seen them wrestle before and had a bet. Maybe like in last year's New Japan Cup, they had a, I think they might have had a better match, but this one was. Uh, and didn't they just wrestle recently too? Uh, I'm trying to remember. No, that was Kojima. Okan, yeah. Yeah. But in either case, um, I liked the finish where, you know, Kojima's, you know, you know, setting up the lariat and everything like that and kind of getting people to sort of second guess whether or not he pulled upset on Cobb. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, Cobb, you know, puts him away. Uh, very, very awkward toward the islands. I think, I don't know what the miscommunication was there. But, uh, you know, they went out there. They had a match. I, I don't think it was blow away or anything. But, uh, it's, you know, probably the match of the night, I guess. Yeah, I also went three and a half on this match. I thought Kojima uh, looked really good here. And it was uh, bringing it to Cobb. It was his, uh, he did a nasty DT to Cobb on the apron. Um, and Cobb like spiked himself, looked really good for uh, for that. Um, yeah, uh, Kojima was kind of bringing it to Cobb, and we hadn't had any upset yet. So, like you mentioned, uh, it was kind of could be believable that an upset could happen. And Kojima was going for that uh, big lariat towards the end there. And like you mentioned, Cobb caught him, but he caught him awkwardly, but still was able to hit him with the uh, tour of the islands and, and get the win here. So then the main event of the show, last second round match for this show, was the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defeating Bad Luck Fale with Chase Owens at 15 minutes and one second. And something that did happen on one of the preview matches uh, was Fale hitting a drop kick to Tanahashi's knee, uh, which was kind of the story here of this match with uh, Fale targeting the damaged knee of Tanahashi. Oh, no. Someone picks a body part of Hiroshi Tanahashi and and uh, exploits it. I've never seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it doesn't matter what you target. Neck, uh, that's a good target. Knees, great targets. Biceps, go for it. Back, sure. <laughs> like, I, this guy doesn't have any part of his body that's not, like, in bad shape, you know? <laughs> right. But um, this is the one black mark uh, on my uh, prediction contest because... You know, I got too cute with it, and I figured someone's got to get upset. And I figured there's no way they're going to do Tanahashi and, you know, Naito on the third round of the tournament or whatever. But I was wrong. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't matter how good Bad Luck Fale's uh, dojo show is or how much weight he's lost or how much this tournament probably needed a, a big surprise upset. He was not able to take out Tanahashi's knees. He was not able to overwhelm him with battering offense and ultimately Tanahashi was able to get past Bad Luck Fale once again 15 minutes one second 
Yeah, that was, even for me, that was kind of a surprise. I also had uh, Fale winning, and we know that Fale has beaten Tanahashi before in the past, and it seemed like it made sense of uh, Fale kind of coming in, all the Bull Club stuff uh, going in, and then even the whole angle the night before of him uh, putting the attack on Tanahashi's leg. It seems like you could have done a little bit of something here with uh, Fale, but uh, Tanahashi was able to uh, roll up Fale at the, at the end of the matchup here in uh, get the win, knocking uh, Fale out of the tournament. So kind of a surprising win because I feel like a lot of other people had Fale also. With a, like you mentioned, there weren't many upsets, and so I think a lot of people had Fale kind of circled for the quote-unquote upset win here and to, to move on. And we did have a question here from Les Commission 7252. It says, after watching and hearing Chase Owens on commentary with Kevin Kevin Kelly. Is he better than Phantasmo when he was on commentary with Kevin Kelly last year? Um, I don't know if I would say Chase was better than ELP, but I thought Chase was very good. I was popping for a lot of the stuff Chase was saying, and I think he's really good at commentary. Yeah, I I can't. Remember, I don't feel like this is the first time Chase Owens has been on commentary with Kevin Kelly. No, he's uh, he's definitely done it before. But I felt like he's gotten better at it. Um, if you know, even though I don't totally recall him being on the call before, um, he did a really great job here. I don't know if he's better than Phantasma. Uh, Phantasma really took to it like fish to water. So, yeah, but Chase had a, a ton of one-liners that were popping me in it. And it's kind of, sort of reminded me of like a, uh, Bobby Heenan. You have, you know, Kevin Kelly like being a straight man, and then somebody that's just kind of throwing these, these one-liners and comments and jokes out. And it was just uh, it was pretty entertaining. Yeah, Jerry Lawler, you know? Yeah. And, you know, him and Jerry Lawler might have something in common, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to <laughs> night six, March 12th. Uh, we had uh, more second-round action. The first tournament match was Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Doki, 15 minutes and 3 seconds. And uh, the night before, there was a preview match where uh, after the match, uh, Doki attacked Sabre. He, he got the pipe, swung at Sabre, did a hurricane run through Sabre out the ring and was uh, teasing a dive on him. And then we even saw here in the beginning of this match, Doki was all, all fired up and didn't care that he was in the same faction as this man. He wanted to show this man that he is not going back to Mexico. Yeah, that takes precedence. You know, number one priority, never going back to Mexico. Number two priority, Suzuki Goon, you know, allegiance, basically. It goes in that order. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I will say this. Because um, I didn't get to do the review for the first few um weeks of the tournament with you guys so you know I, I i haven't i never gave my thoughts on like say you know desperado and um okada or ishii and shingo that sort of thing but uh from this stretch of shows that we're recording or that we're reviewing here this has got to be one of my most recommended matches of, of the stretch now i'm not going to go overboard and say you know this was a classic on some sort of like mythical level but for what it was this is the kind of thing that you like to see from a New Japan Cup match. It's a guy who is a no-hoper in Doki. Get it, you know, don't get it twisted. He, he has no shot of being Zack Sabre Jr. Being a junior, being a very lowly slotted junior, obviously. And it doesn't really matter. He 
still went out there and was like, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity and really showcase what I can do. And they went out there and they had like an awesome, awesome match for, for a 15 minute junior versus heavyweight interfactional match. I mean, dude, like what I really loved about it was Doki doing so many things to Zach that we haven't really seen a lot of other people do because we haven't gotten to see Zach wrestle a lot of high flyers or, or junior guys. And Doki is kind of a, a more unconventional style. You know, he's sort of like a grimier, um, you know, Lucha uh, style wrestler. And so he went out there and did a lot of things that like Zach's character didn't necessarily, he wasn't prepared for, he wasn't expecting really got him off of his game, put him out of his, uh, you know, comfort zone. And then um, a lot of the Yave style of Doki as well, and kind of showcasing what he learned there on the, you know, on the dirt floors in Tijuana. <laughs> and that was sort of his undoing where Zach was able to kind of counter a lot of that Yave and kind of gain the upper hand. And, um, but they, they went out there and they had a banger. Um, I'm probably like three and three quarters, four stars, maybe more. I, I don't know if someone, if someone told me they're like four and a quarter on this, I, Maybe that's too high, but, like, damn, it was really fucking good. And I like the finish. One thing I've noticed with Zach, um, he's doing a lot of different moves and a lot of different finishers that we have. And he's done this in the past. But, like, you know, it feels like the last time where he was really just unleashing a lot of new killer moves was the last time he won the New Japan Cup. And it does get me wondering, as we're seeing things unfold, you know, is he going to go further in this tournament than I originally expected? But, um, man, he went out there, and I think him and Doki, like, they had an awesome match this night. Yeah, I uh, really enjoyed this matchup, too. I think I went four stars flat on it. Um, just a, an awesome matchup. You know, you talk about guys who get opportunities. Doki, every time he gets an opportunity, he kills it, whether it's him facing off of Hiromu, being in the Super Juniors, um, getting a shot here in the New Japan Cup. Also, everybody pretty much, like you mentioned, thought that Sabre was going to get through Doki here. But this was a very compelling match, starting with the angle the previous night with Doki showing that he wants to bring the fight to Sabre. And then, you know, uh, Doki jumping Sabre during his entrance for this match. And just the, the back and forth, like you mentioned, the, the high flying. This Doki was like a, a man possessed, just kind of throwing everything he could at Saber, um, then every time he would get a, a ton of momentum, Saber would eventually find a way to cut him off with a submission. But then Doki would fight his way out and continue to uh, fight back. And uh, the, the Italian stretch, I think number thirty-two it is, or what uh, it's called the Doki Chokey. Uh, Doki tried to use a couple times, but obviously Saber, being a submission master, wasn't going to let uh, Doki uh, tap him out, and was able to eventually get in the cremation lily, which is that that stump puller maneuver that he used to defeat uh, Juice in the G1. Yeah, this almost looked a little different than that even. But, yeah, that's the first thing I thought when I saw it. And I was like, damn, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had a question here from the Dark Soldier. He says, Doki handled himself pretty well against Zack recently and against Taichi earlier in the year. If he can handle the former tag team champs, can Doki handle over the tag team other other tag teams by himself? I think so, because Doki is a threat. What say you? Man, he needs to, I mean, before we start talking about Doki going on a, you know, Ryback run beating two guys at a time, maybe he can just start beating some juniors, maybe get a title <laughs> shot. Let's focus on that. Yeah, let, yeah let's get him a, a big uh, singles win here first. 
I don't need Brodus Clay, Doki. I just need, like, top of the junior card, Doki, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, definitely a recommended uh, match here from this night. Then we move on to uh, Great Okan defeating Taiji Ishimori. And there was a you know preview match uh, last week where Taiji and Fale had defeated Okan and Cobb. So Taiji coming in with a little bit of momentum here. Yeah, um, this was good. I mean, we've seen Taiji Ishimori have uh, matches with, you know, heavier weight wrestlers and, and kind of seeing how that plays out. I thought him and Okan had a good match here and kind of played off one another well. Um, nothing to blow away, nothing that really stands out in my memory. But, you know, um, it was fine. You know, Okan's the heavyweight. He's the favorite guy. He goes over and we're off to the races. Yeah, um, Ishimori, he targeted Okan's left arm in the match here. So, obviously, Okan being the bigger man, Ishimori was trying to break him down a little bit. And plus, it also sets up for both of Ishimori's um, submission holes, the, the bone lock and um, I think bone cruncher, whatever the other one that he does now. Um, so, he was working on the arm trying to set up the submissions here. But uh, Okan was just able to uh, outpower him and was eventually able to avoid a low blow and hit Ishimori with the Eliminator. Now, I am the individual that famously booked Great Okan to win this entire tournament, and I'm not saying it's not still possible, but I am nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous about my prediction that Okan's going to win the tournament because they've had this man losing on some of these undercard matches, and they don't have him picking up all the wins on the undercards. And, you know, that, that kind of, I don't know. That gives me pause for concern, you know? Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But, I mean, so far, like they mentioned on commentary, you know, he has the, the most singles matches this year and most singles victories. Obviously, a lot of that is against uh, dads and young lions um, and guys like Hanma. But, you know, he he's on a hot streak right now as far as singles matches. Well, I didn't like that they had him lose on some of the undercards and put my prediction, <clears throat> put my prediction aside. Um, you know, just going back to the fact that they have him on this hot streak, I don't see the sense in having him be the fall guy in tag matches that they have, especially when many of those matches he's teaming with uh, um, with Hanare, which, you know, I know not everyone wants Hanare to be losing either, but, you know, if you've got Okan going on this undefeated hot streak, why would you diminish that in any way by having him be the fall guy during tag matches it seems so weird to me yeah i think especially in, in the fall ishimori match i think they were just trying to play out that you know potentially ishimori could pull out an upset and beat him yeah we'll see um if they are trying to throw people off of the great Ocon scent, they're doing a really good job of it right now yeah <laughs> like if they're still gonna have him win the tournament I say still as if that was ever going to be the case. But, but um, if that's what they're trying to do and they want people to not expect it, they're they're killing it. Yeah. So then the semi-main event, we had Will Ospreay defeating El Fantasmo, 17 minutes and 31 seconds. This is my hot take, Jeremy. I know you're going to disagree <laughs> with me. I didn't love this match. I uh, Now... Let's be very clear here. I've kind of come around on Phantasma over the past year or so. 
um, compared to how I originally viewed him when he came into the company. And I know I've been um, a little critical of some of his matches with Will Ospreay in the past, especially when they were both juniors. So going into this match, considering everything that's been going on with Phantasma, the fact that he has this mental block and can't hit the sudden death apparently, and, you know, the history between him and Will and, you know, Phantasma might potentially be going up heavyweight. So this could be like a good barometer for what his potential is. There was a lot to be excited for here. Plus, you know, big boy Will, you know, former world champion Will Ospreay. It's a totally different dynamic. And yes, I thought that they went out there and I felt like the opener was incredible. I felt like the close was incredible. I felt like every once in a while there was a cool spot. But the bulk of this match was kind of just slow meandering paced wrestling, which kind of confused me considering the fact that it's Will Ospreay and El Phantasmo. Um, I did. And then plus everything that they were doing in the, the preview tag matches was so impressive. I sort of expected to get like a, I don't want to say exactly a Ricochet Osprey match, but maybe something closer to what we've seen from Phantasmo and Osprey in the past. Um, it was not a bad match at all, but I've seen people praising this. Like it was like a really, really great match. And I don't think it touched the Doki Zack Sabre match from the same night. Um, probably three and three quarters. It was fine. And uh, you know, Will Ospreay went over, which is to be expected. I thought ELP had a good accounting of himself, but I'm just not, the only time I've ever liked Osprey and Phantasmo as a, as a pairing was that first really great rep pro match they had before ELP ever came to the company. But since he's come to the company, I haven't really loved most of their matches. And I got to say, I think this is the lowest of all the Osprey Phantasmo New Japan matches. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's definitely uh, a hot take, especially seeing some of the other ratings on, on Grapple and Cage Match. It seems like most people have this match around four, uh, four and a quarter. Uh, me being one of them, I, I went four and a quarter on this match. I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, to me, I thought it was uh, fast-paced. Also, there, there was a ton of flips, a ton of cool spots. They continue the story of Phantasmo, um, not being able to hit the sudden death and kind of losing his confidence. And so kind of having to go to all the other tricks in his book to try and beat Osprey until you get to the very end where he finally rebuilds confidence and he's going to throw a super kick, but Osprey cuts him off at the last second with the hidden blade and uh, gets a win. But I don't know. There's a lot to me. There's a lot of cool spots, a lot of cool counters, a lot of back and forth, uh, a lot of cool that looked really cool here. And I don't know. I, I really enjoy the match. Well, here's the other thing, too, is like uh, I've been binging these shows. So when you said that to me, I thought to myself, you know, I should go back and rewatch it. But then I thought, but I've got like three more nights of New Japan Cup I need to watch. So I can't afford from a time management standpoint <laughs> to go back and watch Will Ospreay and ELP. So I'm just going to have to forever let that one lie dormant. And I'll always be right. And you're wrong. Man. It just wasn't that good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, then the uh, main event here, we had Sonata defeating Aaron Hanare, 25 minutes and 7 seconds. I believe that our theory that Sonata is a really good wrestler who can have great matches with great wrestlers and good matches with good wrestlers holds up here. I did not feel in this instance that this was a match where in a main event spot, Hanari was given an opportunity to go with one of the best in the company, and they got, they got a lot of time, 25 minutes. 
I did not feel that in that scenario, either of these two guys lived up to the expectations or the hopes of what they could have done out here. Um, this did not give me watching this a lot of um, confidence in a Sonata U.S. title run. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people kind of still uh, on the fence as to what to expect from that follow, you know, with him having to follow guys like John Moxley and, you know, Kenta and Tanahashi. And, you know, we kind of know what to expect match-wise from them. And with Sonata, it's very inconsistent. And we saw what he can do against a guy that's less experienced and, you know, never been really given the opportunity. And it was just a fine match. You know, neither one of them did anything wrong, you know, but no one did anything that really got me popping or really got me out of my seat. And, you know, the big, I don't want to put all this on Sonata. A lot of it is on Aaron Hanari. This is the second time in a New Japan Cup where they put him in a really big spot. The last time I think was against what, Jay White, right? Yeah, I think so. And he went out there in a main event spot and just kind of had a fine match. Uh, same complaint that we've had a, a, about guys like Watto and, and others in this tournament where, you're given an opportunity against a, a main stage player in the company. You need to do everything in your power to, to make the match really stand out, and elevate your stock. And uh, I don't, I don't think Hanari did that here. And for anyone wondering why he's the fall guy in United empire, it's on full display here, not because he's not good, but when you compare it to what Cobb's doing in this tournament to what, you know, Osprey's doing in the tournament and, and great O'Connor, he just doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't cut the mustard. Yeah, man, I absolutely agree with you. I honestly, I thought this match was pretty boring. Um, like, honestly, all all the mechanics were fine. I mean, if you're kind of grading as far as like the, the the match and the the moves, like everything was executed well and correctly. There was no botches or anything. But I don't know. I just wasn't invested in this match. And like you mentioned, I don't. I don't think. Hanare, I mean, he worked hard, but didn't really do enough to impress. And then we talked about for our Sonata theory, I felt like Sonata kind of wrestled down to Hanare's level and didn't go above and beyond to try and make this match blow away or, or great. And so and it hurt because it was a 25-minute main right. event match, and it just didn't um, live up to a, a main event status. And, you know, after this, I am I'm never predicting Hanare to win <laughs> anything again. Uh, oh, did you predict him to to beat Sonata? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was looking for the upsets. You know, we weren't getting any upsets, so I was like, oh, maybe you know, you get the Hanare upset and he gets a future U.S. title shot. But that wasn't the case here. So I, I'm off the Hanare ever winning anything train. And then uh, as far as him getting any shots, I mean, I, I think he's fine. In his role as the you know the fourth guy in, in the empire and, and the fall guy for those guys, but uh, you know once again, like you mentioned, given this big opportunity here, and I don't feel like he fully hit a home run here. Yeah, I agree. They, they could have shaved a lot of time off that match, uh, but that's fine. We'll move on to night seven. Yep. So night seven continued the second round. We had Chase Owens defeating Tiger Mask at ten minutes and thirty three seconds. So funny story. So like you know how I mentioned I've I've been like kind of fast forwarding a bit through some of the tag matches and just kind of you know getting a feel for what's going on or whatever more so than actually sitting there watching all of them. 
I don't know why, but I thought for some reason I saw a Tiger Mask and I was like, oh, it's just another tag. I, I fucking fast forward through the whole <laughs> through the whole match. <laughs> and then I saw Chase Owens beat Tiger Mask. And I was like, all right, well, that was the finish of that tag match. I think plus I saw Fale outside and I just assumed he was the tag partner. And then I moved on. And then like at the end of the next match, they're like the winner of this round is going up against Chase Owens, who defeated Tiger Mask in the last... I was like, wait a second, that was a New Japan <laughs> Cup match? <laughs> and then I thought, I could go back and watch it, but why? It's Tiger Mask against Chase Owens. I know he probably hit him with a C-trigger and like got him out of there over you know, a package pile driver, so you know, I'm sure Folly cheated. It is what it is. Yeah, you, you didn't miss much. Tiger Mask missed a flying headbutt. Uh, Chase took advantage, hit the package pile driver, and got the win. The one thing I did read a review because I was like, should I go back and watch it? The one thing I did read, um, I don't know why. You know, I did say that they probably cheated, but I actually read that this was a pretty straight up match. Now that I recall, yeah, it, it was straight up. Yeah, so that that's kind of cool and refreshing, I guess. But I mean, you know, Tiger Mask and Chase Owens, those are guys who are not going like. I could. I probably should have rewatched it because it probably was pretty good considering who's in it. I just thought it was a tag match. Yeah. So uh, moving on from there, we had uh, Shingo and Tangaloa. Shingo defeating Tangaloa, um, and I thought this was a, a pretty good matchup. This is pretty good. Um, there's not much more to add to it. I, I think Tangaloa has so far on this tour and in these matches, I think he's had a better accounting of himself so far than say like last year's G1. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is with uh, Tangaloa, I don't even remember that interview a while back where he talked about, I think it was on Jericho's podcast. He wants to be a junior. Yeah. He wants to be a junior. And you look at the way he's been wrestling lately. He's been like hitting hurricane Rana's and these high Indies and like just doing some, that, that- <laughs> That's what I meant when I said he's had a better accounting. I know he only had this one match, but he's also been on the undercard tags, and I've kind of stopped and watched some of them just because of the angle and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I-, I noticed he's doing a lot more high flying, high impact moves, and I'm like, nice, Junior Junior T- Tangaloa. That's what I like to see. <laughs> moves Tangaloa. <laughs> yeah, this man, this man does flips now. It's nice. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this kind of a little power exchange here and uh, Shingo having to work to kind of knock off uh, Tangaloa. But uh, eventually he uh, got him up for the last of the dragon and uh, put him away. Yep, and as this match ended, it kind of just automatically started shifting into the next match, which is one of the more anticipated showdowns of the tournament as we got an all-bullet club uh, interfactional match between Evil with Dick Togo versus Tamatonga with Giotto. Yep. So this was the the matchup that you know I think a lot of people are looking looking to her just because of everything that's been happening with this whole Bullet Club storyline and Jay versus Jay or Tama and where does Evil kind of fit into all this? Well, I think it was made uh, pretty clear here that uh, Evil was at least. Uh, on Jay White's side, or at least against Tamatonga at first, and we saw these guys have a match in the G1, and Evil used all the shenanigans to uh, to beat Tamatonga, and uh, you know similar here, so we got you know Bayface Tamatonga all all fired up, and 
Um, you know, he was kind of taking it here to to evil and didn't really seem to be looking for Bull Club Brotherhood. Yeah, uh, he went out there pretty fired up. So, you know, um, I don't listen to his podcast necessarily. I, I haven't listened to many of his interviews, so I don't know what the full, like, thought process was for the Tamatonga character going into this match. But, yeah, he wrestled evil, not like a guy that was, like, sort of on the fence. Are you with me? Are you not? Like, he just was like, fuck it. I don't give a fuck who's with me. You know, it's New Japan Cup. Run it. Right. these hands. And um, I really, I appreciated that. That's one thing I will say. Um, we've gone through our ups and downs on this podcast when it comes to Tamatonga. There have been times where we've been super high on him and then disappointed and then high again and then low. And it's been all over the place over the years. But this was like the most exciting. I think Tamatonga as a singles competitor has looked ever. That includes this past year's G1, and that includes when he was cutting those, you know, crazy promos on Kenny back in the day. Like, he kind of reminded me of, like, I don't, I don't even know who. Like, just someone that is a hot, fiery baby face that the crowd really believes in and is behind. And, I mean, that's kind of rare for a lot of baby faces in today's uh, wrestling environment, even in Japan. I mean, you see how many guys they try to establish as, like, a – a baby face and they get like the respectful hand clap and, and everything like that. But like this crowd is they're with Tamatonga. And I, I think that probably speaks to the many years of toiling that him and his brother have done for the company and all the different times they got on the plane and all that sort of stuff. Because now that they're kind of being positioned to be baby faces, they're more over than I could have really hoped or expected for them. And that was really on display at the end of this match with the hot closing sequence. Yeah, this crowd was super behind Tamatonga, and also I'm not sure how aware they are what's happening. I know that the Japanese media has been kind of publishing stories and kind of keeping updated on what's been happening with um, Jay and Tama here in the States. But, yeah, they were definitely behind Tama here. I thought Tama, he really kind of set this up with the work he did in the G1 and just having yeah. those uh, really fiery Bay face matches and, uh, you know, beating Okada and eventually having that, that rematch with Okada. Um, at a power struggle. So he had a, a lot of good stuff there to kind of establish this kind of new style that he could be wrestling. And, yeah, I thought he, he looked really good here in this match. Had a ton of fire. Um, you know, he eventually hits the, the gun stun, which got like a big, like, kind of gasp from the crowd because they thought that, you know, Tamo was going to get the kind of big win here. But then uh, I thought he won when he hit that. I was like, oh, shit, he did it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, too. But then, of course, uh, Dick Togo, he pulled the referee out. Uh, before the three count, and that's when we started getting the run-in. So Giotto, uh came in. He got he had his own garrote wire. He started choking out Dick Togo. Then Sho and Yujiro came out, and they started beating up uh, Giotto. Then Ishimori and ELP come on, come in. They chase away Sho and Yujiro, and you're thinking, oh, you know, Ishimori and ELP, they're going to side with Tamatonga, especially Ishimori, because Tama was the one who brought Ishimori into the Bullet Club, and they pick Tama up, but then ELP hits him with the sudden death, and they start beating up Tama. And then, uh, you know, you have, uh, oh, yeah, he hit the super kick inside of the ring, and then Evil hits everything's evil and pins Tama. Then post-match, you had more of the beat down, and then you had um, Chase and Bad Luck Fale coming out to the ring. It seemed like 
uh, Fale, he kind of hesitated to hit the grenade on Tamatonga, and uh, then eventually he hit it on Tangaloa, and they continued to beat down um, both those guys, and then they beat up Jado. Gato comes out, and he, uh, I think he hits Jado with uh, brass knuckles, and then uh, we get these guys that laid out Gorilla Destiny. They throw up the two sweet. They're getting ready to throw it down, and Gato's like, no, 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 no. Throw it up. We do it up now. And they they, <laughs> they they throw up the two suite. And it seems like Bull Club has is all aligned and G.O.D. are out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, the, the two positives of this. Number one, the excitement of a big change and a big angle. The crowd is always going to react to that. We, you know, that was one of the complaints people did have initially when this whole storyline sort of kicked off was like, you guys did one of the biggest New Japan storylines of the year in an impact ring, you know? Well, some of that's kind of been rectified here because they've kind of continued the story and done it, you know, on a big show uh, in a very public way. So that's cool. Um, Some of the drawback, though, was just how convoluted the whole entire ordeal was. Like you mentioned, you know, it seemed like member after member had to come out, but they had to find a way to do it so that it, like, seemed somewhat plausible, but over and over again, it was pretty much just G.O.D. and, and you know, Jado getting their asses handed to them. And eventually just kind of became like, man, this is kind of, I don't know, you guys are overdoing it a little bit. I feel like there could have been a more concise way to do the angle because you get the initial big pop, but then every single time new guys come out in this angle, the pops became more and more diminished. And it just kind of became a, a long-running thing where I'm like, how long is that referee on the outside going to be knocked out? <laughs> right. But ultimately, I guess the good thing is a resolution to the story because at this point, it's not a Bullet Club Civil War. It's just an ousting of G.O.D. Um, you know, and sort of like you mentioned, that we see Bullet Club aligned and we see them just out of the group now. So there's some finality there. Yeah, and it was posted today on Reddit on the Japanese New Japan site, uh, G.O.D. are officially labeled as their own faction with Tama, Tenga, and Jado. So, yeah, they're they're out of the club, even though it's, uh, you know, it's supposed to be for life. Um, but, yeah, they, they've been uh, booted out here in House of Torture. They're they're aligned back with the, the rest of Bull Club and Gato kind of running the charge here while Jay is still uh, stuck in the States. Yeah, so, and um, as we kind of alluded to, on the undercards going forward, you see matches involving G.O.D. versus Bullet Club. And even though I don't think any of those individual matches have been great, uh, it's kind of been one of the more interesting feuds that are ongoing through the remainder of the tour on the undercard. Yeah. And we had a couple questions here. First from Dark Soldier. When Jada was in Tamla's corner, did you think he was going to betray him like the rest of Bullet Club? Because I thought he would. Um, I didn't really give it too much thought, to be honest, but, you know, it did make, I don't know, it did make sense that you had, like, two heaters to kind of balance each other out, so I didn't see it as, like, a double cross was coming. Yeah, and Jado's kind of been, you know, with G.O.D. for a while now, and G.O.D. have been his guys, so it it made total sense for him to kind of stick with them and um, take the beat down from these guys. Yeah, and I mean... uh, as a side note, this means Jado and Ghetto are broken up, broken up, you know, which right. I can't remember the last time that was the case. Yeah, first time in a long time. Yeah, Gato stabbing the knife and his longtime uh, partner here. 
except for that time when he ousted him from the booking committee and made him go to Noah. That was the real breakup. <laughs> you don't you don't see John those names on those Booker of the Year awards anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, Len Les Commission seven two five two says everyone has made a decision in Bull Club except for Kenta and Hikaleo. Hikaleo is of course with the Tongans. My question is, should Kenta stay with Bull Club, or is it better for him to not be aligned with them? After watching and hearing Chase Owens on commentary of Kevin Kelly, is he better than Phantasmo? Oh, we already answered that. So, yeah, so Kenta, is he staying? Should he stay with Bull Club or not? You know, um, I've had the thought in the past where, like, if he left Bull Club and went to a different unit or did something else, I wouldn't be too surprised. He, uh, I don't think he's, like, an outsider but he doesn't totally fit the way that maybe some of the other the other like members do in my mind yeah i i wouldn't if he if he decided to not be a part of the group i i wouldn't mind i don't think i have a hard time seeing him align with gorilla destiny uh, i do too I, I don't think that would make um the most sense uh so but ultimately i think they'll, they'll probably just have him stick with bull club now, he mentioned that Hikaleo is with the Tongans. I don't know if that is for sure. I mean, we would have thought that yeah, Bad Luck. We would have thought Bad Luck Fale would have stuck with uh, Tama and Tangaloa, but he's still with Bull Club. And on Strong, Hikaleo has been Jay White's like right hand man. On Strong has been his main heater. Um, so maybe Hikaleo's going to stay with where the money's at. Maybe he's going to stay with Bull Club and stay kind of under Jay White's wing. Um, so we ha- we haven't well, seen Hikaleo in Japan since the pandemic. So once he gets in, also that'll be interesting to see where he at, where he ends up going. Will you be mad if on Sunday night after Clark Connors loses? No, actually, I'm, I'm getting the matches mixed up. If after Chris Sabin loses to Jay White, we end up with a Hikaleo running where he's the next guy challenging because he is letting everyone know that he's not part of the Bullet Club, but he puts Jay White on blast. And then that means you have to watch that match in April when you go to WrestleMania weekend. Well, since Jay's already booked um, against Speedball Mike Bailey, uh, I'm not too uh, concerned about that happening in Texas. Uh, ah. <laughs> so maybe that will happen on, on the, the following tour or maybe at a Windy City Riot. But, um, you know, honestly, I, w- I wouldn't mind a Hikaleo versus uh, Jay match. I think Hikaleo has gotten a lot better. Uh, I think it would be an interesting matchup, and it would, it would add more intrigue to stuff here in the states uh, of what's going on with Bull Club. Well, last note: Evil defeats Tamatonga, which means we get more Togoism for the remainder of the tournament as long as he stays in. Me up, unfortunately. <laughs> but it takes us to our main event of this evening. We had Hiromu Takahashi defeating Minoru Suzuki, 19 minutes and 33 seconds. Boy, oh boy, what a match. Hot take. I like this match better than that famous Goshi Ozaki versus Nakajima match that happened at the end of this past year. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't count, but this this might be the most choppingest match I've ever seen. Like and that includes the match that Takahashi had a couple years ago with a uh, Dragon Lee, and that might also include like Kobashi and uh, Sasuke. Like these Suzuki and Tak and Hiromu went out there and just chopped the fuck out of each other. Like this, 
this has got to be a leading contender for strong style fight of the year right now. Like I, I was blown away by this match and I've got it probably as my number two, maybe number one match at the tournament. I don't know. Yeah, this match was brutal. Like you mentioned, these guys were literally, they they chopped each other the whole match. Like all 19 yeah. minutes, they pretty much chopped each other. I mean, there was a little bit of other moves in between, but for majority of this match, it was just all chops. Suzuki's chest was just all, uh. like Hiromi was giving it all he got on every single chop, and his Suzuki's chest was a beat red, Hiromu's chest was red, and these guys were just throwing bombs back and forth and I thought Suzuki looked really good here you know he's been kind of working you know his style of match and kind of gets caught in that kind of you know pattern of his matches and I thought he just looked excellent here it's kind of this monster um sadistic guy trying to take out this junior and Hiromu just fighting with everything that he had and he didn't get much of a chance to do a lot of high flying or a lot of his higher impact moves. He was just going toe to toe with Suzuki the whole match, just exchanging these chops and just a battle of will and showing fighting spirit. Yeah, this was an awesome matchup. Yeah, the undercard um, tag preview tag matches that involved these two leading up to this were also chock full of awesome moments between them, especially post match where they, you know. Suzuki was just being this sadistic, maniacal old man attacking this crazy guy in Hiromu and uh, very combustible elements between both of them. And so we sort of knew what to expect going into this match. But I, I feel like Suzuki, they told a story where like when Suzuki did wrestle, he could take Hiromu, especially being like the elder, being, you know, this master of the black arts of wrestling. And then, you know, just the fact that he, uh, you know, he's a heavyweight could have taken Hiromu, but instead he decided to go blow for blow. Like there was something kind of sadistic about it where he wanted to see how much Hiromu could dish out, how much Hiromu could take and sort of played the game instead of trying to wrestle him. And that might've been his detriment because he didn't realize how much like hell Hiromu was willing to go through to get the W in this match. And Hiromu like put so much heart on the line where the, there were chops where, like, I just heard, I could hear them, like, audibly, like, groaning. Yeah. And it's not, it wasn't just selling. Like, it was like, holy fuck, they're killing each other. And then, um, you know, the fact that he, instead of, you know, hitting Hiromu with a gotch, he let this guy go chop for chop for 19 minutes with him and and got caught with a, with a pinfall, you know? Um, I, I love this match. I, I don't know if I loved the finish, but I loved the yeah, the finish was a, a little bit clunky with uh, Hiromu getting that, that roll-up towards the end there. But besides that, yeah, this the, the whole match, it was a great matchup. The, definitely the, the best matchup um, on this night. And like you mentioned, a top contender for a uh, match of the whole tournament, match of the month. Um, yeah, this was just uh, an awesome, violent matchup. This will, will definitely be... As of right now, a candidate for Strong Style Fight of the Year. And they told a great story here of, yeah, like you mentioned, of Hiromu just you know, continuing to bite the bullet until he could finally catch that opening to uh, catch Suzuki here. And uh, that brings Hiromu in the next round to, to face evil. One last thing, too. You did a great job kind of highlighting Suzuki's role in the match. But 
you know, we've got to give credit to Hiromu because obviously we know how great Hiromu is. But it's not like he always has it turned on. There have been quite a few, like, recent junior matches where I haven't necessarily been, like, let's say, blown away with Hiromu's performance, especially compared to, you know, the the level of performer he was prior to his various injuries. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when he needs, when he's put in a spot, to be given an opportunity like this, he understands when to turn it on and how to turn it on. And he did exactly that here. And that's the kind of thing that's missing from some of the guys we talked about in this tournament so far that were given their own opportunities, but they didn't go out there and have a fucking banger like Hiromu and Suzuki did, you know? Right, yeah. Hiromu made the most of this opportunity. It's very similar, like you mentioned, you know, two years ago when he was in a New Japan Cup when they came back. Um, from the break in the pandemic, and he was out there having bangers of Hanma and Ishii. Yeah. Um, and just having all these really good matches in that tournament. And that's, you know, what we got here with Hiromu. We had this awesome uh, banger here with Suzuki. And, you know, he is set up now to potentially maybe even go deep in this tournament. You know, last time he fought Evil, it was for the title. It was Evil's best defense. And uh, maybe he gets the win back here, pulls an upset on Evil. Um, uh, but he's set in a position for a really big uh, kind of a little push here. And I think it's good to do something different with Hiromu right now. You know, you, you can't just have Agreed. him do the same thing of chasing the title, winning with the Super Junior, going to Wrestle Kingdom, either winning or losing the title at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, he needs to do something different now. And so I think this is a kind of a good thing for him, getting that win over Suzuki. And with that win, you know, he potentially – and also, too, with Evil being the Never Champion, if he can, can beat Evil, then you could do a Never title match with Evil and Hiromu and then start transferring Hiromu into more open-weight programs throughout the year. Yeah, I completely agree with that. All right, so that takes us now to night eight on the 14th. Oh, one last thing. Yeah. A lot of people are calling that an upset, and I guess in a way it is, but if you listened to this podcast last week, you knew who to, you know, listen to when they told you who was going over in that one. Yeah, even even two weeks ago, the the bigger preview that we did, I mean... That's what I meant, two weeks ago. We we all had um, Hiromu circled, and if you, you look at a calendar, you, you would have known that that had to be the move here with Suzuki getting ready to come to the States for Mania Weekend and Windy City Riot. Eventually, he needed to get out of there uh, and, and get ready for the dates that he has coming up, so... It made a ton of sense for Hiromu to get the upset and uh, knock Suzuki out here. So now we move on to uh, night eight on the 14th. We only had two tournament matches this night. This kicked off the third round. So in the semi-main event spot, we had Shima defeating Hiroki Goto. Yeah, this was one where I was kind of surprised. I heard a lot of different journalists and fans uh, predicting Goto to go over Shima here. And, you know, for my money, a guy that's an outsider and the leader of an organization and a group like the Stronghearts, I don't think, and, you know, a bona fide legend of Perezu, he's not going to go into a tournament like this unless he's getting some sort of preferential booking. And the very fact that, potential of a Shima Okada match is kind of looming out there. And it seems that during this tournament, they've been especially inclined to do as big of matches as possible. So as to draw as much as they possibly can, it seems like it just seems so um, likely 
to me that Shima and Okada would be the next match. But you heard a lot of people talking about Goto being the guy to beat Shima and kind of put his uh his little New Japan Cup run on, you know, to kaput here. And I I was surprised to see that. But um, as far as the match goes, Shima went out there and had a again copy and paste what I said earlier. He's been wrestling good, competent, you know, compelling guys and having fun, energetic three and a half star matches. And I think that's what him and Goto did here again. Yeah, I really enjoyed this uh, Goto match here. And um, I I think like uh, a lot of pundits um, kind of sometimes maybe they, they forget some of the, the runs that outsiders have in the company. When you look at some of the outsiders they bring in tournaments, Usually they, they can go pretty far in these tournaments to pick up a lot of wins if it's like a G1. Um, and so, yeah, I was happy to see Shima get the win here. Like we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, it, you know, he was the only outsider and, you know, the one kind of hope for something, uh, so different matchup in this tournament. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed this uh, Goto match. And I can understand why people think thought Goto might win because he is a, a champion. He is Mr. New Japan Cup. But uh, Shima was the right call here and, and they got me towards the end of this match here because there was a spot where Goto, yeah. he hits the Ushigoroshi and Chima kicks out. And I was like, oh. And then he goes for that armbar thing and Chima escapes. And then Chima just hits this flurry and hits the hits uh, double like springboard meteoras to Goto and gets a win. And I was like, all right, that was a cool finish. Really fun matchup here. And Chima has just been one of the most fun guys to watch of this whole thing. Yeah, totally agreed. And, you know, I was excited at the end of that because then that led right into the next match, Okada versus Taichi. You know, I'm like, well, I feel like I know where we're heading with this one. So that's awesome. Um, but speaking of Okada Taichi, we got uh, Taichi out here, full Mihoabe, full, you know, um, theatrical entrance. And he had his game face on, Taichi did. Um, there was no sense of the guy from like 2017, 2018, uh, Tai Chi that we've known. This was big match G1 level Tai Chi who went out there with Okada. And I thought that they tore the house down. Like I thought they really had an awesome banger. I'm probably like four and a quarter on this. And, um, this is probably in my estimation, one of the better Tai Chi singles outings that I can ever recall in new Japan. And I feel like if, if this was the guy that we got every time he stepped through the ropes, he could potentially be one of my favorite guys. You know, um, we see we see a lot of what he did in this match sprinkled into his matches. But if he just like fully leaned into the all Japan influenced roots that he has the way he did here and just drops people on their heads and just back this people and, you know, does all these cool kicks, um, I'd be all in on Tai Chi. Uh, you know, not for nothing, Okada's done had two matches now in this tournament. Uh, this one and then the Desperado match where he's gotten two different guys from Suzuki Goon kind of looking much better on the way out losing than they did going in, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought this match was great. Also, I also went uh, four and a quarter. I thought, yeah, Tai Chi was really motivated here and had a, a great uh, back and forth here with Okada. And, you know, I think we've kind of been seeing this kind of slow shift into more of the serious kind of that all Japan style influence, like you mentioned, of Taichi coming out. And I think especially now that he's 
it seems like he's going to be doing more single stuff and seems like the techers aren't going to be back together for a while. Uh, we have been seeing this more kind of slowly come out, more serious, more uh, Kawada kicks, more axe bombers, more dangerous uh, back yeah. suplexes. And we saw, you know, it turned up here in this Okada match, and it was just so uh, dope to see and really taking it to um, Okada here. Even he was he was hitting his, kind of like his own version of like Rainmakers on Okada at one point in the match. And uh, uh, Okada hit him with the last ride. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, these guys yeah, are... There's a lot of really great stuff in this match. Yeah, stealing each other's finishers and all that stuff. But um, eventually came down to the end where um, Okada does hit him with the Rainmaker and gets the win and advances on. Yeah, and that sets up a fourth-round showdown between Okada and Shima, which is a first-time ever match and uh, kind of a dream match. So that's a that's a big one. And we'll, you know, we're going to keep our eyes on that one as it comes up. Yeah. So then moving on to today's show, night nine, March 15th, we had the conclusion of the third round. So we had, uh, actually some more third round matches on the 17th. We are almost on the third round. We had uh, Jeff Cobb defeating Yoshihashi, 17 minutes and 22 seconds. This is one where I, I looked at what a lot of other people's feelings and opinions on the match were, and it seemed to be people are pretty low on this. I think I'm the odd man out on this one because I thought Jeff Cobb and Yoshihashi had a hell of a match today, and I thought that they outperformed Naito and Tanahashi on the same night. Well, um, well I was about to say hot take. Yeah, I, I enjoy this match way more than Tanahashi and Naito. I thought... These guys had a really good matchup here. I thought Yoshihashi showed a, a ton of fire here. And, you know, the crowd, they're, they're, yeah. like, they're looking for the upsets. I felt like they were behind Yoshihashi. And he was just giving a lot of offense to Cobb. And Cobb was kind of scrambling to uh, put yeah. away Yoshihashi. Yeah. Uh, Yoshihashi, they, the, the close of the match was awesome. Just him surging and having so many near falls. And then finally, one misstep. Jeff Cobb catches him, tour of the islands, go to hell. <laughs> so it was a really awesome finish. Um, and, yeah, I thought Cobb looked great here. This reminded me in some ways of the match that we liked between Yoshihashi and Michael Elgin a few years ago during the uh, G1. Mm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I saw a lot of reviews that were just very middle of the road here, and I felt like this was a, a little bit above average even for Yoshihashi. And I felt like Cobb had a great accounting of himself and, you know, looked good in defeat, looked strong, and moves on to the next round. Yeah. So then the main event of the show was Tetsuya Naito defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi, 18 minutes and 48 seconds. And normally you tell me, uh, you say, Jeremy, you're, you're going to get a Naito-Tanahashi tournament main event. I say, sign me up. Let me Let me watch it. Uh, but to me, this was kind of disappointing. These guys didn't deliver here. Um, I don't know what it was. I, I, to me, I think part of it just might be like the the old manism of these guys kind of being broken down and moving a little clunky. Um, but yeah, this is not the the high caliber stuff that we're used to when these guys are in the main event. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't. Again, this was part of why we anticipated that there might be a bad luck Fale appearance 
during this portion of the tour because look at the house that they were in. That house wasn't deserving or needing a uh, you know a Naito Tanahashi match. And I feel like the low energy of the crowd. I don't want to blame. I don't want to do a heel shtick and be like, "It's your you people, you fault. people." <laughs> but at the same time, you know, you do a Tokyo Dome worthy match and you do it in a rural part of the uh, the tour in a smaller venue you get smaller venue energy from those guys. And like you mentioned, they are kind of torn down. And, you know, I have to kind of wonder if they kind of went out there and just thought like, yo, I'm not going to wrestle like I'm in, you know, the Budokan if I'm not in the fucking Budokan and they're giving away a Budokan level match, you know? Right. Because, yeah. Um, the, other, the, the one thing I will say, though, at the end, it started turning up to a really great match. And I expected it to go like another three or four minutes and then it just ended and I was really confused yeah the, the ending was kind of flat for me so they had Tanahashi he goes for the high fly flow Naito moves and then Naito does that you know that running roll up thing that he does and just pins him yeah and I, I, I agree with you too when you talk about broken downism I do feel like there might be some old manism there because uh, you know uh, both of them just came off pretty hard rigorous main event matches on the last tour and you know are probably gearing up for whatever's next and you know this is the middle of the the fucking tour at this point they probably are a little banged up they're probably trying to work as smartly as possible to get prepped for whatever whatever actually truly bigger matches they have later on the tour as weird as that sounds yeah and i honestly i I feel like tanahashi just looks uh really rough right now just like looking at his body and just the way that he's even just walking or moving mm-hmm. and he's still hitting these high fly flows to the floor did here in this match also and um i don't know he doesn't, doesn't look that great right now no literally so as a tribute to scott hall he did the razor ramon walk uh the shuffle sidewalk whatever it is he does and a friend of ours like took a gif of it was like at first i had no idea that he was doing doing a tribute to scott hall i was like why is this man limping like this <laughs> yeah it... and once he said that and i like listened to it i was like that's totally plausible that's how bad like tanahashi's moving it's plausible to think he's got some sort of old man gate right there yeah it's it's pretty rough like they need to stick him in, in multi-mans and let him rest up uh because yeah his his body is taking a beating or better yet Maybe he could take some time off. <laughs> yeah. You know, Tanahashi never takes time off. Like, it's he's never gone. And, you know, and he's one of my favorites. But, like, you know, sometimes you need to take time off to take care of things, you know? Yeah, rejuvenate. Yeah, get, get the body right, get the mind right, and then kind of refresh. I think he could definitely use that. And I, I don't think at this point of where the company's at, adding Tanahashi – to certain undercards going to make that big of a difference in the house. Uh, yeah, they got big stars, you know, evil. <laughs> the the newly, you know, reunited Bullet Club. Yeah. Show. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for our review of this portion of the New Japan Cup, but we've still got a few nights remaining for the rest of the tournament. Yep, so 
Starting on the 17th, it'll pick back up with round three action. We'll have Zack Sabre Jr. taking on the great Ocon, which they have been building that pretty well in these multi-mans, and both of these guys yeah. were exchanging submissions on each other today. Um, so that should be a fun matchup. They had a great G1 matchup, so that that, that match should be great. And then also uh, the main event of that show will be Sonata taking on Will Ospreay. And I feel like this is a, a very important match. I think this match can go either way. I think both of these matches could go either way. But um, this one, you're probably right, is a little bit more so. Um, I did call the upset here for Sonata to win. But seeing how things have been playing out over the tournament, I wouldn't be surprised if Will, you know, does end up, like, facing Shingo or something like that at this point. You know, it's hard to say. Um same thing with, you know, with Zach and Okan. I knew it was going to be difficult for Okan to beat him, but I thought it was plausible given how hot they were booking him prior to the tournament. But now that we've been in this tournament, Zach has just looked like a killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the undercards and in his matches. And, and Okan hasn't really felt that way. So if he does get past Zach, I'll be surprised. Yeah, it's, it's going to be his toughest test in this tournament so far. And, yeah, I mean, Sabre's a guy, also, we know he's won New Japan Cups before. He had that excellent G1 this year, had the excellent title match with Shingo as well. Um, so he could be a guy that they maybe want to continue the momentum of that, and you, you throw him into a quarters, you, you do a, maybe him versus Osprey or him versus Sonata. He has great matches with both those guys, um, so they could go that direction. Yeah, just last year he had a near five-star match with Will Ospreay in this tournament. Right. Yeah, Yeah. so match. that's – that. I, I got to say, I think that that's one of the most exciting um, remaining portions of the tournament, just that that top right corner there. Yeah. Uh, then on the 18th, we'll have Shingo taking on Chase Owens and Hiromu taking on Evil. So this is one where I'm not – as as much looking forward to the outcome or to the actual matches themselves but um you know it is very intriguing to see getting um a, a shingo evil match or are we getting a hiromu shingo match i don't believe that chase owens is going to pull an upset on shingo here and if he did I, I i don't know i would just call that into question because i feel like there's been much better upsets they could have already done as opposed to that one so i'm banking on shingo winning no matter what but the big question is are we getting the dream match him and hiromu or are we getting you know the two bigger established heavyweight stars him and evil where do we go from there really yeah i mean with uh, shingo chase like you mentioned I, I feel like uh chase has had kind of a cakewalk in this tournament so far with some pretty beatable opponents and so yeah i, I think it's time for him to kind of get out of here. I would say it's going to be booking malpractice to have him beat Shingo, especially the guy that Shingo's been beating so far. It's a role that he's been on this year and coming off of winning the world title. Um, yeah, Shingo should beat him pretty easily. And yeah, the, the big intrigue is going to be this main event with Hiromu and Evil. We are just one step away from my prediction of having Shingo and Hiromu. I think Shingo and Hiromu will be such an intriguing matchup. I think it's the matchup this tournament needs to, to get a little buzz and some excitement uh, happening here. And also, I think, like I mentioned earlier, it's the best trajectory for Hiromu's future. 
You can get him in a never title match. You can do some never stuff with him and kind of keep him out of the junior title scene for a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping that Hiromu does get the the win here. Moving on, on March 20th, we will have uh, the first set of quarterfinal matchups. So we'll have Shima taking on Kazuchika Okada. And then we will have a Wrestle Kingdom rematch as Jeff Cobb takes on Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, this is a tough one for me to call one way or the other. I uh, I don't think it's likely, but if there were someone that could upset Okada in this tournament, I think Shima is one of the, the few guys in, on that side of the bracket that could do it. But I'm anticipating Okada going through to the next round at least and facing the winner of Cobb, Naito. That's how I've got it booked on my bracket. I've been almost perfect so far. Uh, I think where I defer from a lot of people is I've got Naito going through against Cobb, although the way that he's been performing in this tournament, I wouldn't be opposed to Cobb going through. Yeah, I'm also have Okada going through. Um, like I think Shima could pull the upset, and you could do a Okada-Shima title match from that at the right. next show. But just the role that Okada's been on the whole 50th anniversary being built around him. I mean, there's a very good chance that Okada could just win this whole tournament as champion to kind of continue this kind of mega push that he's going in right now and kind of being the face of this uh, 50th anniversary celebration. Um, so I think it makes uh, it can make a ton of sense to have him win in advance here. Well, you know, there have been people that have won the G1 or G1 equivalents in the past as the world champion in New Japan. But nobody's ever won the New Japan Cup as the champion. So, yeah, like you said, if you did want to really cement something about Okada's legacy, that is something you could do there because it's unlikely it would ever be replicated. Um, I still got to wonder about the two big shows that they have coming up after the New Japan Cup. I, I think they still need two challengers in place regardless. That's why I anticipate Okada losing. But, hey, who knows? Maybe he does go all the way. Yeah. Then with Cobb and Naito, I kind of lean more towards Cobb winning um, and doing another Cobb-Okada matchup. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like it might be a little bit too soon for another Naito-Okada match, but, I mean, it, it's, it could easily do that as well, and then you could have Naito get the win back again, and then you do an, another Naito-Okada title match um, in April or May. Or you could have Cobb be the one to get the upset, and you do another Cobb title match in April and May. Or Okada just beats one of these guys. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Um, yeah, if I'm to, if I'm to be believed, then Naito is beating Okada, but we'll see. Yeah. Then the last show before we record again will be on the 22nd. The winner of Great Ocon and Zack Sabre Jr. will face the winner of Osprey and Sonata, and then the winner of Shingo and Chase will face the winner of Hiromu and Evil. Yep, and the way that I had it booked out, Ocon faces Sonata, Shingo versus Evil, and then out of that we get a right side final of Great Ocon versus, I believe, Shingo. All right, how I, I booked it out, I had Okan facing Osprey, Shingo facing Hiromu, 
And then I have Shingo and Osprey winning for those guys to get a rematch of last year's tournament final. With all that being said, um, taking a look at the right side, I will say this. The only person that I can completely outright say is not going to the finals is Chase Owens. Right. <laughs> Um, they've done a good job at, the, you know, I know we're four rounds deep at this point, but they've done a great job getting the right names by the third or fourth round that can have good matches with one another and be real players to potentially win the tournament. You know, even if some of them are like Ocon and Hiroma might not be favorites, it's still plausible. Right. So yeah, so. that, that wraps up new Japan cup coverage for this week. Next week, we'll be back to review everything that's happened and kind of set us up for the uh, finals coming up. So we're going to transition into news right now and have some news about the Lone Star shootout. We also had some breaking news that happened as we're recording about the Lone Star shootout. So Killer Cross will be making his New Japan Pro Wrestling debut come April 1st at the Lone Star shootout. Uh, any thoughts on, on Cross in New Japan, Josh? Does he want to control his narrative? Um, it, it seems like he does elsewhere, but uh, you know, New Japan just posted this uh, promo video of him, and it seems like he's gonna kind of go with that kind of the MMA background, and he's beating people up in a in a gym. Um, oh God, you mean Enochism? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. Um, I like Killer Cross when he's good, but I didn't like anything about his run in WWE, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been the, the biggest Killer Cross fan as long as they keep away from the spooky stuff, keep away from the control your narrative stuff, and just let him, you know, suplex people and do submissions. I, I think he can he could fit in. Um, so other stuff announced for Lone Star Shootout. We have some match announcements. There's going to be an eight-man tag with uh, Juice Finley, Kevin Knight, and Daniel Garcia taking on Mascara Dorada, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, and Yuya Uemura. And then in a singles match, we're going to get Rocky Romero, our good friend, taking on Ren Narita. And I already announced for that show, Speedball Mike Bailey answering the US of J Open Challenge, taking on Jay White. Also, Tomohiro Ishii taking on Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson in Dickinson's first match back since his injury. Uh, the Good Brothers and Great Ocon have been announced for NJPW Windy City Riot in Chicago on uh, April 15th. So with the Good Brothers there, I'm sure we'll see some continuation of the Bullet Club storyline uh, here in America. The I don't know if you uh, mentioned it last week. Suzuki's been announced for that as well. Yeah, Suzuki. I think we we mentioned it last week, but yeah, if we didn't, yeah, Suzuki is also announced for uh, Windy City Riot. Then uh, free match of the week is last year's New Japan Cup Finals with uh, Shingo versus Will Ospreay. So that is free on YouTube and New Japan World. Uh, it's an incredible match. Yeah, love that matchup. Uh, this week on Access TV after Impact, they're going to air the Sonata Tanahashi. U.S. title match from the Golden Series. So if you didn't check that match out and you have access, here's your chance to, to watch that on Access TV. Uh, then for Bloodsport, uh, Mania Weekend in Dallas, March 31st, they announced Matt Mikowski versus Yuya Uemura. That sounds pretty awesome. 
Then hopping over to some Rev Pro news, Sunday, May 22nd, Rev Pro Epic Encounter. Will Ospreay will defend his Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship against Minoru Suzuki. So Yeah, that, that sounds really incredible. I mean, we've kind of seen Suzuki, what he's, you know, some of his work uh, when he does these little excursion runs. And it's been a while since he's been in Rev Pro, and he is one of the, like, top stars or was, you know, previously when he was kind of touring there regularly. And I don't think we've seen too much of him in Osprey except for like maybe one G1 match. And Osprey's just been on this incredible tear, especially recently this year in Rep Pro. So, yeah, that's one to definitely earmark. Yeah, this brings back the good old days when you have the Rep Pro champion facing off against like a top New Japan guy. You know, we've seen guys like Ishii right. go in there for Rep Pro title matches and stuff like that. So, uh, that, that'll be good to kind of reestablish that and get, especially since travel is opening up. Get some Osprey defending that Rev Pro belt against some uh, New Japan guys. Yeah. Um, then last piece of news here, uh, per the Japanese media, there there have been eight to ten foreigners who are expected to compete in April's big Ryzen card. And the reason I, I bring this up is also affects uh, you know New Japan. So Ryzen, they're they're bringing in um, you know eight to ten new guys to their promotion. Which means you would think that uh, New Japan could potentially bring in some new foreigners coming up pretty soon as well. Uh, if that's the case, yeah. I mean, we still don't know what the work visa situation is getting those approved. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would love it. Yeah, so hopefully this is uh, things in the right direction for New Japan as well. And we will uh, be able to get guys like Tom Lawler and Dickinson into New Japan, especially as G1 will be coming up this summer. It would be great to get a ton of strong guys, maybe a couple AEW guys or some of these top uh, independent guys who are kind of on the scene right now to get a really uh, great G1 this year. So now we just have a few uh, questions here, recommended match of the week, and we'll wrap things up. Uh, so first, from MJSPR, he says, Love the new logo. Have you asked Okada's family for permission to use his silhouette? <laughs> you know what he's referring to? Yeah, he's referring to the whole uh, Four Pillars uh, shirt debate that was happening this week. There's one thing I wanted to mention. I I guess I should mention it off there. But as far as that logo, a friend of ours uh, created that for us. Shout out to Zach. What's up, Zach? Um, the original design that I saw, the middle of the logo has a white background. But lately since we've been using it, it has a black background. Is there a way to get that white background back? Um, well, I think the, the original one was just like a, a PNG with no background. So when you uh, you put it on ah. stuff, it just kind of takes whatever uh, color of the background. Because I, li- I liked the white background in the center of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we'll have to talk to our people about that. <laughs> yeah, we, we could have them throw it on there and see what that looks like when we uh, put it on stuff. But yeah, shout out to Zach for the uh, new logo. Uh, you know, didn't ask him for it. You see, I guess he got bored one day and started messing around with, with the logo and doing some a couple options here. So, uh, hey, if, and if any of you guys get bored and you want to do promotional work or design work for keeping a strong style, we will accept your free labor any day of the week. Yeah, if anybody wants to be the official Keeping a Strong Style intern, 
uh, you know, you can help me uh, put the rundown together, get get the listener questions out there, uh, send the tweets out. You know, we'll we'll get you hooked up for a, a nice internship full of experience and no pay. We're looking for financiers as well. <laughs> if you want to invest into keeping a strong style, you know, <laughs> let's talk. Uh, we had a question here from Dark Soldier. It says, in G128, Juice and Goto, the respective U.S. and Never champions, scored the lowest in the B-, B block. When it happened, I thought it was to set up future title matches, but they immediately lost their titles. Why did they book it like that? Because they're hoes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, That was like when we were like expecting or hoping that juice and Goto would like rebound and, and do well. And they did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not really any like, clear reasoning for it. As I say, that's what Gato booked. I mean, we all thought that, yeah, juice is going to kind of have this comeback at the end of the year. He's going to defend the belt against all the guys he lost to and kind of prove people wrong. And, uh, you know, go through this, me- this, this crazy tour of just beating people until he gets to wrestle kingdom and have a, a big match there. But, didn't quite work out that way. Yeah. And I also, I don't even remember who, who did Goto lose it to after that? I don't even remember now. I'm trying to remember, like, was it Kenta? 2018? That's probably too far back, huh? Uh, cause yeah, because Kenta came in 2019 G1. I don't even know, man. I, I have I, no I, idea. Yeah, I don't, I, off the top of my head, I don't even remember right now. But, I mean, it's a never Was time. it Tai Chi? Maybe what, 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 the three way like him, Tai Chi, Elgin. I don't know. That's so far back. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember right now. But I mean, it, for it was more kind of, I guess, shocking for the Juice loss versus the Sagoto loss because I mean it's a never title, never title, kind of bounces bounces back and forth all time. But I was expecting more of like a run for Juice the U.S. title. Uh, next question here from Les Commission seven two five two. What do you got? What what would you guys rank the members of Chaos as in members? It's clear that Josh will pick Yo last. That's not true. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to put Stat last. Girl <laughs> <Chris> Statler. <laughs> and after her, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to pull up. That, that's the that's the real question. Who counts as being part of Chaos? You know, well, I'm um, pulling up the, the the Wikipedia here. We we got uh, Orange Cassidy. I don't, I don't no, I don't. <laughs> Robbie Eagles, Goto, Ishi, Nichols, Okada, <laughs> Romero, Statlander, Chucky T, Trent Beretta, Sue, oh. Toriano, Yo, Yoshihashi, Wheeler Yuta, and Danhausen. Bro, I don't think Dan Housen's even part of the best friends. How is he part of chaos? Well, he's best friends adjacent, so I guess that makes him chaos adjacent. Dude, I'm I refuse on standards of principle. I'm not I'm not ranking people from AEW. Okay. So so no no Utah, no Dan Housen, no Chuck T best friend stat, Sue. Um, I don't know. I would I would rank the members of Chaos. I'd go Okada number one, and then Ishii number two, and then uh, who's in this? I don't even know who's in this group anymore. I guess uh, Goto. Yeah, there's Goto, Yoshihashi. Eagles, Yoshihashi, Yano, I'm, Yo. I'm not ranking everybody. That's too many people. 
I mean, I'll, I'll go. Okada, I mean, Okada's, Okada's at the top, and I don't know. Um, yeah, Yo probably is at the bottom, right? Yeah. I mean, so I, yeah, I would take obviously get Okada Ishii, then Yano's at the bottom. I, w- I would probably take Eagles after Ishii, then Goto, then Yoshihashi. Yeah, then Yo, and then maybe Yano dead last. Mm. Uh, and then uh, Ethan Black for his uh, serious question. He says, favorite New Japan Cup finals and worst New Japan Cup finals. That's a tough question. Um, well, I think for the worst, I mean, and this might just last be years. Yeah, recently biased with um, the one, the one with uh, Evil where he won it. Against uh, Kata, or was it against yeah. Naito? The which, who did he beat? It was it was against Naito? Naito, yeah. As far as favorite final, I'm, I don't know, man. Like, what? Do you have one? I, I mean, I've been I've been struggling thinking of what is my favorite. Um, I'll say I really enjoyed Shingo and Osprey. Um, the Saber finals uh, was a great one. Yeah, see, the tough part for me is, like, I don't know that I've always loved all these finals. So I'm, like, I'm actually looking on Wikipedia just to even remember um, what finals have occurred, you know? Um, and did I love any of them? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, that that's kind of the sneaky secret. Not a lot of these final matches have really been, like, blow away. Um I guess I'd probably go with last year's probably Osprey and, and Shingo. Yeah, that that seems like it was that'd probably be as far as like a match quality, probably the the best one. Um, follow for me, yeah, probably the Tanahashi Saber from twenty eighteen. That one's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the twenty twelve one between Goto and Tanahashi is really good. But there have been a lot of there, I will say this: there have been very few actually bad finals but not many of them have been like upper tier yeah and it makes sense because for a long time they treated this tournament as kind of the non-g1 you know right it's usually kind of used as a way to kind of catapult like a a upper mid card to get them a tile shot and so a lot of the top guys would get knocked out so it wasn't yeah it wasn't your kind of high caliber tournament yeah well, that wraps it up for all the questions. Uh, recommended match of the week last week. Uh, I recommended for everybody to watch uh, Naito versus Bushi from the New Japan Cup 2018. Did you get a chance to check this one out, Josh? Yes, I did. And um, I thought that this match, um, you know, the first time I saw it, uh, we, we were, you know, very... I don't know. We praised the match, obviously, because it was really awesome. But I feel like rewatching it now, I have even maybe a higher regard for the for this match. Um, I still don't think it's the the highest of heights for the feud. I think some of the matches they'd had just the year prior probably a little bit better. But this really kind of set the stage for the series of matches that they would have that year, which got to the highest echelons of like crazy violence. And we saw that kind of kick started here with some really 
dangerous and scary spots towards the second half of the match. And I love the story where, you know, both guys are just working over each other's neck and how every big bump towards the tail end sort of becomes like more, you know, painful and, and sort of concerning just based on the types of, uh, you know, offensive game plan that they've imposed on each other. Yeah, this match fucking rules. Like, and I think that they even topped it the next two times out. But this one, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, awesome match. I just I just remember the first time we watched it live, just like kind of cringing some of the the next spots there. And now you, you go back and watch it, and yeah, man, just like the the amount of work that they put in, and just the story they told, and the crazy spots they did, just yeah, it makes it even better on a, a second viewing. Yeah, I agree. And if you haven't seen that match, highly recommended. Go out of your way and watch it while you're at it. Most of the Naito and Abushi uh, matches are worth checking out. Yeah. So what you got but, for us uh, for this week? So uh, in light of the recent passing of Scott Hall, um, I kind of have a deep cut. It shouldn't be that deep of a cut, but kind of um, a match from a period where less people might have been watching New Japan. But um, we're going to go with Scott Hall versus Kiji Muto in the main event for the Triple Crown title. On September 23rd, 2001. Um, now, you can't find this match on New Japan World, but it is easily and readily available on Daily Motion and pretty much all over the internet. And uh, it doesn't go too long. You know, uh, it's like a 15, 16 minute match, but a 2001 style match, singles match between an old, even back then, Kijimuto and a breaking down Scott Hall does not sound like it could be appealing at all. Trust me when I tell you this, this match is better than any than it has any right to be. Nice. So I'm looking forward to uh, checking that out because I haven't seen any of uh, Scott Hall's uh, New Japan work. So it'll be fun to watch and some of the stuff that uh coming up on New Japan World and stuff that people are finding on YouTube. Yeah. Now, I will say this isn't like a blowaway match or anything like that, but you know, Scott wasn't necessarily always used at the very tip top as a main event player in New Japan. This is probably one of the few like major singles matches he had. And I do think it's probably one of the best that he had in New Japan. But, um, you know, make no mistakes about it. It's, this is not going to be like a five star classic, but it's also much better than it probably should have been considering the time period it's happened, who's involved. Yeah. Well, looking forward to checking that out. And that's going to uh, wrap things up for us this week on Keeping a Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back to being to review the quarterfinals of the tournament. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visiting slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at suplex. On Reddit, I am Jeremy. I am the pro black guy. Just keeping a strong, keeping a strong style. Email me, jeremy at suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb Maserati. All things Leap of Floyd in Austin. 
AW Match Guy podcast hosted by Sir Sam and the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. We'll see you guys out there Sunday. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.